What time is it? Game time! Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Gives it to Jenkins for the championship! Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Game Time with the host, Garrison Hardy, and my co-host, as always, Garrett Thigpen. That's right, you get us twice this week we just released our college basketball preview and now we're here to talk college football it doesn't get better than that right garrett it doesn't no and uh yeah we've got a fantastic slate of college football coming up this week and a lot of stories to talk about uh the new playoff rankings just dropped about an hour and a half ago so Mm. yeah a lot to talk about this week fantastic and we're glad that you guys are joining us here by the way if you could uh give us a five-star review or whatever your podcast platform is if you could also uh, you know subscribe uh follow us on social media we're on facebook and twitter trying to grow our audiences there we would greatly appreciate it and without further ado we are gonna shake our show up a little bit right garrett we're getting into like a news segment then we're getting into a gut reaction then we're getting into our inside our, our reactions to the games last week and then the look ahead at week 11 we're, we're mixing it up here we're we're getting more modern yeah that's uh that's the beauty of it you never know what you're gonna get you know we're unpredictable keep we gotta keep the people on their toes exactly we're inconsistent wait uh, no, uh, <laughs> that's one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, you know, who's really inconsistent was USC's defense all season. Great well, transition. Thank you. Thank you. Although you could make the argument that they were consistent, just consistently bad, which is why Alex Grinch has been fired over the weekend by USC less than 24 hours after losing a heartbreaker to the University of Washington, 52-42, to a game in which they gave up over 540 yards of total offense. Not a good day. Um, you know, to me, Garrett, this was just a long time coming. Yeah, I mean, we talk about LSU's defense being uh, terrible all the time. USC's is even worse. They're... Ooh. They're giving up 430 yards a game. They're 113th in the FBS. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can just, it's, it's, it's apparent just looking at the box score, how many points they give up. And that's really what's right. killing them. You know, they, they played Washington really close. Uh, the offense put up 42 points against them, but then they gave up 52 and Washington's offense is great. But if they, if right. their defense just had any, any strength to it at all, you know, they're, so so many of their games this season have been so close. We're having a defense that was just even slightly competent. Um, you know, they could be looking at a playoff chance still. Right. Uh, but there's the fact that, I mean, you could see after the Utah game, Utah's offense is in shambles and they put, they put up 34 points against this defense mm. and it, it gave Utah a lot of, uh, it gave a lot of people false confidence in Utah going into that Oregon game. They saw Utah put up 34 points and thought, wow, their, their offense is back, matched with that defense. Who knows what they can do? Yeah. And then Oregon kind of put them in their place. And, uh, but yeah, it just goes to show how bad this USC defense is. It's, it's, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah. Uh, which it's disappointing because when you have a talent like Caleb Williams and the offense they have, uh, much like, you know, Jaden Daniels at LSU, um, you just can't be nationally relevant because you can't win games. And, right. So, yeah. It's uh, this is a firing that shocks nobody. 
Right. And just again, to put it in perspective, folks, I mean, USC has surrendered 41 total or excuse me, 101 total points in the past two games. Um, And I mean, this is we kind of saw the writing on the wall last year, too. You know, I thought maybe maybe Grinch would turn it around. But um, just even last year, um, USC finished the year allowing 47 points to Utah in the Pac-12 title game and then 46 to Tulane. And the Cotton Bowl, Tulane, I know Tulane's gotten better, but with the caliber of athletes that you're getting at USC, you know, as compared to Tulane, you should be able to at least make some stops here. And I don't have the the stats and in, in, for the folks at home, um, Riley, Coach Riley, head coach of USC, has named D-line coach Sean Nua and linebackers coach Brian Odom as co-defensive coordinators for the rest of the season. Um and that they they're going to be taking over um a defense that you know currently um is 120th in rush defense and 107th against the pass so they got some work to do obviously um and you know that alex grinch he was a rising star years ago uh he took washington state and turned them into you know that the speed d they were called and um, they they forced a lot of turnovers, and they were exciting to watch. They blitzed from different angles because they used uh, the Cougs were smaller up front than a lot of other teams, so they blitzed with, from different angles, and they would sack the quarterback with safeties and corners. And um, the Ohio State reached out and got him, and then Ohio State took a major step back because he was a co-defensive coordinator. Took a major step back defensively, and then he went to Oklahoma and kind of that same soft brand. Um, and it transitioned to USC. So, you know, I, and I think one thing that's should be mentioned here is Grinch. Um, he, I think he has such an emphasis on forcing turnovers that he, Mm -hmm. he teaches his defenders to be stripping for the ball. And as a result, I think USC was one of the worst tackling teams in the country. Again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but so many missed tackles and, to your point, when you're putting up 40-plus points a game, maybe take the Ohio State approach and just don't let people beat you for long plays. It doesn't seem that difficult. Just play cover three all day, sit, sit back, right. and say, we're going to keep everything in front of us and make you earn things. If we pick up a couple of stops here, um, you're like you said, maybe USC is competing for a, a you know national championship by the end of it. So uh, I don't know. I, I feel for Grinch, but the the – you know, this is a business. They got to move on. And, you know, this this brings up a couple questions here. You know, looking ahead, uh, to me, one thing USC has to keep in mind is they're moving to the Big Ten next, next year. And Big Ten football is going to be a little bit different, especially when you get to the winter months and you're traveling to, say, to play Michigan or you're at Minnesota and it's frozen out there. So the game's going to be a little bit different for USC. What do you think about maybe hiring a Big Ten defensive coordinator? Um, I think that's, I mean, obviously big 10, that's kind of their, their brand of football. Um, I don't think that's a bad idea. depends on who you get, but I think that there's a lot of teams, even, you know, state. Yeah. I mean, there you go. That'd be a great option. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of teams. I think that USC, that's a premier school that has looked as a step up from almost anyone at this point and so i don't think it'd be hard to attract talent there and the big 10 is probably the best place to go for defensive talent i mean they have no shortage of that there um you even look at schools like iowa who Mm -hmm. you know they're sitting they have what the 
maybe the worst offense in FBS. They're still sitting there with a with a really solid. I think they're like seven and two. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. just because their defense is so strong. So yeah, I think looking at the Big Ten, Manny Diaz from Penn State's a great option. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's probably smart. Yeah, and at the end of the day, if D- USC starts bringing it on defense, I mean the USC of old, like back with Pete Carroll, they always had monsters on defense, just guys that I just feared. You know, Ray Maluga, um, Brian Cushing. And their defensive line was always just massive. And you, you knew you were going to have to work to to move the ball against USC. So I think USC right. has been soft ever since Pete Carroll's left on that end of the ball. And hopefully they, they bring a new identity back to USC. So there's the news there. Shifting gears. Let's go from USC to Michigan. Michigan's back in the news, Garrett. Your favorite team. Michigan staffer <laughs> fired. After allegedly trying to meet a 13-year-old girl, uh, what the heck is going on up at Michigan right now? And and I, I, I'm not saying this is Harbaugh's fault or anything like that. I mean, it, it is what it is. A staff member could misbehave in that way, but it still doesn't look. It still doesn't look good. Yeah, I think it's just. Uh, I mean, it's just unfortunate. I, I don't think this has too much to do with the football program as a whole. Right. Um, I think this is just a really unfortunate, a really bad thing that happened. Um, you know, the staffer, they found out about it. He was fired instantly. Right. So, yeah, I think it's it's obviously bad timing for the school. It's just kind of piling on at this point. So mm-hmm. definitely a bad look. But I don't think that this should be... I think this is just a, a you know a low level staffer did something really wrong, and right. they took the correct action for it. So I don't think that I can personally, as much as I'm against all the cheating, everything they do, I don't think I can hold this incident against the you know the football program as a whole, or right. especially as some like you know Jim Harbaugh specifically. Right, right, and uh, basically what happened, folks, was uh, a football staffer again, low level, Alex Yude, he was named. Uh, was fired after he was accused of attempting to meet up with a 13-year-old girl. According to reports, Yude was apparently fired in September after the allegations appeared in an Instagram video that accused him of arranging to meet an underage girl. This was according to 24-7 Sports back in, uh, they reported it November 2nd. So, um, you know, just uh, it, like you said, Garrett, it, it doesn't, uh, to me, I don't point the finger at Harbaugh or anything like that. It's just you know perfect timing and uh yeah michigan they've got a lot to sort through and it uh, will we'll have to discuss whether stuff like this off the field distractions play into their upcoming matchup this week stay tuned but garrett let's shift gears again now another news item and this is with your favorite team here yeah, NC State with some uh somewhat disappointing news this week that MJ Morris starting quarterback for the last four, I believe last four games is uh, he's going to red shirt the rest of his 2023 season. And this was a shock because MJ started a couple games last season uh, when we had our starters go down with injury. And then he was a freshman last year and um, we brought in a transfer, Brennan Armstrong for this season. Uh, it didn't really pan out. He was not playing well. And the fans have been clamoring for MJ Morris to start for a, quite a long time. And then finally he gets his chance and he hasn't played great. I would say over the last four weeks, um, his passing has been a little suspect, but we've been winning games. You know, mm-hmm. we had huge wins 
over uh, Clemson, and then just last week over Miami. So, you know, fans are really happy with the state of things. We're we have we're full of momentum. Uh, things were looking bleak for the first half of the season, but now states really turned it on. Everyone's behind the team. Uh, and then all of a sudden we get the news. MJ Morris is sitting out the rest of the season. Right. And it's kind of shocking. I mean, he's not hurt. And, you know, he just tweeted out recently how much he loves NC state fans, best fans in the country. And then all of a sudden now he's done. And the, the reason he's sitting out is so that that's, uh, four games is the minimum that you can start and still keep a red shirt if you miss the rest of the season. So mm-hmm. he hit those four games. Now he's going to sit out and take a red shirt this year. So he doesn't lose a year of eligibility. Right. And most people are speculating that he's doing this because he's planning on transferring. And so, yeah, just disappointing news and right. kind of, brings into question whether we're going to be seeing this more often with the NIL deals. People are questioning whether he's already, you know, having NIL deals set up and he sees, you know, a potential at another school already. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of speculation going on. This just came out this afternoon. So a lot of people don't know the details and we probably won't know exactly why he's doing this until the off season. But, um, it's just something that you don't see too often. And uh, if, if he does end up transferring, I think that's going to bring into a lot of question, a lot of the, you know, practices of NIL and how it's applied. Yeah, because, you know, um, on one hand, like when we we see a coach leave for a new job, he's allowed to do practically whatever he wants. Um, it, it just it, it stinks when it's on the field, especially it's a guy you've been relying on and a guy that you've had success with. And suddenly the rug's almost pulled out from under you. And it's like, oh, well, now what? Uh, so looking, right. looking ahead at NC State's schedule here, you guys got Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, and then the rivals, North Carolina, coming to your place. Um, oh, what What is your kind of gut feel for the rest of the season with these three games? Luckily, we got the toughest games out of the way with Clemson and Miami. And the next couple of games are going to be fair. I would say, like I said, MJ Morris wasn't playing that great. Um, you know, fans that were had a lot of hype for him. And I don't think he really lived up to it. He was only completing 50, 56% of his passes. Uh, but like I said, we were winning. So that kind of right. covered everything. But I don't think Brennan Armstrong is that much of a drop off at the end of the day. I think he'll be fine. And we've got two easy games coming up that we should win regardless. So. Um, I don't think it's going to hurt too, too much this year. And UNC is going to be a tough game no matter what. And it's just a rivalry game. You never know what's going to happen. But mm-hmm. I think the bigger question is uh, going forward because part of the reason people loved MJ Morris was he's a sophomore and he's someone that we could build towards in the future. And people, I think people liked that as opposed to just bringing in a one-year transfer. Uh, he was someone that we could you know, build around and he had a lot of talent, a lot of potential. And so to see him do this it uh it disappoints and you know maybe he's doing this just to get an extra year and he's gonna come back next year and just play for three more years but i i kind of doubt that with how good of a season we're having it doesn't really make sense to go ahead and just quit now so mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i think rest of the way state's still gonna be fine i think you know we should go 
hopefully at least two and one the last three and end up with uh, a decent eight and four record. So I'd, I'd be happy with that. But yeah, going going into next season, it kind of puts the quarterback spot into question for sure. Well, interesting times at NC State. And that's going to wrap up our news section here. And then um, now we're transitioning to another segment here where it's called Gut Reaction. And it's still kind of still kind of news, but just quick reactions here on the state of uh, some college football teams on a certain player. And we're just going to kind of rapid fire through this here, folks. Uh, Garrett, this first one. Does Florida make a bowl game? They're currently five and four, three and three in the conference, and they got to finish with at number eighteen LSU, at number sixteen Missouri, and then finally they welcome fourth ranked Florida State to town. Can they win one of those last games? I don't. I mean, I don't think so. I don't think they're, they're going to be heavy underdogs in all three of those. Hmm. Um, say it isn't so, Garrett. I mean, <laughs> I would say the best chance that they've got out of those three is maybe Jane Daniels isn't going to play, but I don't just because of the injury he took last week. But right. mm-hmm. I mean, even then, I don't see how they win any of these three games. I'm, I don't think they can beat Florida State. Uh, I I think Missouri is really solid too. And the fact that Missouri and LSU are both on the road, I just, I would definitely pick them to lose out and finish uh, five and seven. Right. And I would concur with you. I mean, I just can't trust this Florida team. The last eight, the last uh, three weeks they've lost. They barely beat South Carolina. Yeah. It was at South Carolina. You could make the argument, but South Carolina was two and four at the time. And since then, you know, South Carolina now sits at three and six overall. So that doesn't look good. Then they get thumped by Georgia. Everybody kind of predicted that, but they just looked so pedestrian and so mediocre compared to Georgia. And then they lose to Arkansas and Arkansas is three and six. So, and that was at home. (laughs) So looking, looking ahead the rest of the way, they're going up against the the best offense in college football who, um, you know, we, we'll talk about them here in a little bit, but they put up a, they were putting up a pretty good performance against Alabama, who's an elite defense. Uh, then they got to go to Missouri, who I think is great at home. And then Florida State, I just don't see it. So I think I agree with you, five and seven. And the Gators don't go bowling. And uh, I think their coach is out. I just, I don't think he survives a performance like that. Yeah, this will be his third straight year of mediocrity mm-hmm. and, or a second straight and yeah i don't uh they don't have um too much to go off of uh starting both the last two seasons they started with pretty high expectations and um finished likely assuming that they don't again this year finished below 500 both years so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know exactly the thoughts of a lot of Florida fans, but I would not be surprised if uh, if Billy Napier is out after this. I mean, Dan Mullen had a lot more success than he did, and um, mm-hmm. he was done after one rough season at the end. So, right. yeah, I don't. Uh, I would not be shocked if they end up going zero and three that Billy Napier is out. 
Yeah. For me, it's all anecdotal. But when you go to a program like Florida, and they're a blue-chip program with championship success in their history in the SEC, I mean, football is the lifeblood of Gainesville. And if you're not bringing it, get out. And it's just like even with uh, I'm sure you watched that uh, Netflix documentary about uh, the swamp where. Right. Yep. You know, just the pressure that the players and the coaches are under on a weekly basis. It is war. And I I frankly could see why um, coach. Why am I not remembering his name? Uh, Napier. No, no, the, the coach for the coach who was there with Tebow's time. Oh, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer. Gosh, a brain fart. I could see why Urban <laughs> Meyer was having health problems. I mean, oh right, just yeah. The stress that he's under, and then he couldn't even after Florida would win a championship game, he was immediately on the phone with recruits. Like he couldn't even enjoy mm-hmm. it, and it was just a grind. Right. Which you know that maybe that's what it takes to win at the highest level. So, in any case, um, yeah, I think Napier is out after a five and seven finish. So. Moving on, another gut reaction, Garrett. Arizona is the third best team in the Pac-12. What's your gut say about that? Oof, that one. Um, I think that they've had a. They're really hot right now. Um, I like Arizona a lot. I don't know. Third is tough. I think you know Washington and Oregon, easy top two. Mm-hmm. But then after that. I don't, I, I think they're probably, I would put them ahead of Oregon State and Utah in them. It's just between them and USC. And at this point, I don't know. I, I think I might have to put USC just ahead of them. Um, hmm. You know, they did, USC did beat them uh, at home. USC was at home, only beat them by two. But two I still think I would probably. Right, right, right. Very, very close game, but I would still probably put USC just a hair above them. But they are very close. You could say maybe, you know, three A, three B for uh, in the Pac-12. But a great turnaround from their seat for their season for sure. I'm gonna go with it. I think they, I think they are the third best team. And you, you know, well, maybe Garrison. This is more like a power ranking out of you. Yeah, maybe so. But I think they could finish this season nine and three. And when I look at USC's body of work, I just think this Arizona team is much more impressive. And then since the loss against UFC, where they gave up 43 points in that two-overtime loss, they've given up a combined 50 points in three weeks. And they held Mike Coogs to six. Ah! Now, you can make the argument that Washington <laughs> State sucks. Uh, and that that's fair. But, but... <laughs> They, they've looked really good in those three wins. You know, they also stumped a pretty good UCLA team in that run. Um, they, you know, beat Oregon State in a close one at home. And Oregon State's a quality program. They were, you know, I think they were close to 10th when they beat them. So, you know, to me, that's just a rock-solid win. I'll take Arizona. Noah Fafita, he's a rising star. Um, their last three games at Colorado against 13th-ranked Utah. So they get them at home. And I, I just don't know if Utah travels very well. And then they finish with Arizona State. And I think they can – it's at Arizona State. But I think they could beat their rival. So give me Arizona for yeah. third best team. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Fafita uh, is playing out of his mind, completing almost 80% of his passes for almost 300 yards a game. 
Um, but, and yeah, to your point, I do think they, uh, you know, they do have a good shot. Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I mean, three and O including Utah is definitely a little bit tough, but I think that's a lot likelier that they finish three and O than it is that USC wins their next two. Cause they play Oregon at Oregon this week and they have a tough game against UCLA. So right. yeah, I wouldn't be, I would not be surprised if Arizona does finish third overall in the pac 12. I think that's, that's pretty likely. Hmm. Well, there you go, folks. What do you guys think? Tell us on social media. How about this one? Is Notre Dame a top 25 team, Garrett? I mean, here, here's what we're looking at. They lost to Ohio State. I'll, I'll grant you, that was, a great, that was a great game. They lost to Louisville bad. Mm-hmm. They lost to Clemson. And their best wins are against Duke, no longer top 25, and USC, which has frankly looked awful the rest of the way. What do you think? It's tough. Um, I think that they probably are a top 25 team still. Mm -hmm. When you look at some of the teams down near the bottom, if we're just going off of like, uh, you know, the the playoff rankings and whatnot, I still think I would pick Notre Dame in some of these games. Uh, I think I'd pick them over a team like Iowa, um, someone like Kansas State as well, maybe Tulane too. Uh, even, Even Utah, I think, would be would be a close game. So I think that they are probably a top 25 team. They're right on the fringe there. Mm-hmm. I think if I was coming up with these rankings, I would probably put them in my top 25, but I would not blame anyone on ha- them having them out. Um, I still think, uh, you know, the way they played against USC was really impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were probably the toughest team USC had to face in terms of defenses. I mean, they only, they only put up 20 points against them. They picked off Caleb Williams three times. Right. Um, so I still think there's I still think they are a solid team. They're not nearly as elite as we thought they were. Uh even after the Ohio State loss, we were saying that that just proved they were legit with how well they played. Mm-hmm. But like you said, the loss to Louisville, the loss to Clemson, um, I think that does put them more towards that back end of the top twenty five. But you know, twenty four to twenty five, I have no problem putting them there. Yeah. And I suppose that's fair. I, I, I'm I'm fine with them staying in the top 25. I still think they ha- they do have a decent body of work, given some of the other top 25 teams that are joining them as well. Um, it, it's just they've looked so pedestrian in a lot of these losses. I mean, we're going to talk about them in a second here. But against Clemson, I mean, Sam Hartman, he, he was 13 of 30, 146 yards, two picks. They just didn't look good, and their defense has really been carrying them all season. You can make the argument um, that mm-hmm. if it wasn't for Notre Dame's, I I think they're elite. If it wasn't for their elite defense, we're having a different discussion. Um, and Notre Dame's, you know, swimming above five hundred barely. So you know, I I, I will say probably because of the defense, I would say they're top twenty five. You know, I don't have a problem with that. But yeah, mm-hmm. just a, just a different flavor of team ever since. Uh, Ever since, you know, the last couple of weeks, just different feel. So, yeah. And yeah, to, you know, we talked about Sam Hartman being the difference maker for him early in the season. But I mean, both of in their last two losses, you know, he, he threw two picks against Clemson through three picks against Louisville. He's definitely struggled in those big games. And um, yeah, I think that's that's really what's hurt him. The defense has carried him. The offense, we it's, it's always been the problem with Notre Dame. Right. Their quarterback play, we thought Hartman was going to be uh, a solution. And I think he has played well yeah. against four teams. You know, we saw them 
just before the Clemson game uh, two weeks ago, they destroyed Pitt 58 to seven. And even, but even in that game, Sam Hartman threw two picks. So he he's definitely had a disappointing back half of the season. So, so that's disappointing, but I mean, like you said, still an elite defense and I, you know, that's going to keep them in games against teams outside of uh, some of the, the top 25 right and uh, in defense i suppose of sam is who the heck is he throwing the ball to like i i think this is probably one of the the worst receiving cores i've seen in some time like it, it whenever he throws the ball to it looks like he doesn't trust who he's throwing to and as a result it, you know i'm not i'm not taking all the blame away from hartman because at the end of the day you know he, he's still throwing picks but I think his receivers just have really kind of left him out to dry sometimes. Against that Duke, I watched all of that Duke game, and there were there were points where I'm I was like, you guys got to make a play, help your quarterback out, come back to the ball, move around, and it, right. it was just abysmal. And really, the tight end um, has has only has been his only saving grace at times this season. So. In any case, I mean, the leading receiver last week was Rico Flores against Clemson. One reception for 35 yards. Not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah no res- no, none of the wide receivers have more than 23 catches on the year. Mm. So no one, no one has stepped up, really, to demand targets, that's for sure. Right. Here's another one, Garrett. This one might hurt. Jalen Daniels will not win the Heisman. That is a tough one. Um, Ooh. I, uh, it, I've probably had Jalen Daniels top my Heisman rankings for most of the season, mm-hmm. and you know, there's always a debate how good, how much of your team's success factors into the Heisman rankings, um, and you know, I think most people expect a Heisman winner to come from a team that's at least, you know. It's kind of like the football playoffs. Each each loss really hurts your chances. I think once you get to like three, people kind of write you off. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think he's still been the best quarterback this year, just for you know, just from an individual perspective. The stats he's putting up are absolutely ridiculous. Right, and um, it's again, it's unfortunate that the defense is as terrible as it is, but. Um, yeah, I think it's probably fair. I don't think he. I don't think he's going to win just based on the the three losses already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of knocks him out. I think someone like Michael Penix, who's on a a team that looks to go undefeated this year and be in the playoffs, I think he he probably finishes ahead of him. Um, people even talk about JJ McCarthy, even though I think Jane Daniels is playing significantly better than JJ McCarthy. Mm-hmm. He's just asked to do a lot more, and he does do a lot more, but. Yeah, I, I don't think that's uh, as much as I hate to say it. I I don't think he's going to win the Heisman this year. Yeah, I agree with you, and it's it is unfortunate. I mean, listen to these stats. He's got he's completing seventy two percent of his passes. He's got twenty seven hundred and ninety two yards, eleven point three yards on average for every completion, twenty seven touchdowns to four picks, and a quarterback rating of one hundred ninety nine point nine. I mean. He's doing everything he can. And uh, just off the cuff, Garrett, what are your – actually, you know what? No, I'm not going to ask you that right now. Uh, we'll we'll save that for when we get to their game, which 
you know, right, is coming right, up right, here. Right. So, Stan- and I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't know if I missed it when you mentioned it, but he's also one of those running quarterbacks in college football. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's average. He's almost got 700 yards rushing against Alabama. He, yeah, 163 yards rushing. I mean, just he can do all. He can do it all. He's a one man wrecking crew. So, right. Um, I think probably the best player in college football this season. But just based on what the way that the Heisman gets uh, is perceived by a lot of people, uh, unlikely that he wins, probably. Right. Tough times. I think some of the people that would be, I'll just throw out some of the people I think would be ahead of him, would probably be guys like uh, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, um, Jordan Travis. These are all teams that are, you know, in the playoff conversation. J.J. McCarthy as well. I think a quarterback on a playoff contending team is going to be much more likely to get in over Jane Daniels. Yeah. What about somebody like neighbors, his favorite receiver, you know, targets like that. Yeah. I've, I've heard, you know, lately I've heard a lot of talk from Marvin Harrison jr. Being thrown into the Heisman rankings mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if they're going to be bold enough to throw a wide receiver in there with how many quarterbacks are playing well this season on, uh, right. on these teams. I, I personally, I would like to see, other positions like that get thrown in. I think, especially against someone like JJ McCarthy, he's played really well. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. he has such a good team around him that does most of the work. They rely on their defense so much, their run game. Uh, I would like to see someone else get the nod over him, but um, yeah, I think neighbors has also been maybe, you know, at least a top three receiver in the country this year. So I, again, someone, I, I think he'd probably be behind Marvin Harrison if a skill position was to get in. But uh, I mean, he's had an uh, he's had an incredible year too. So right. Any uh, any running backs in consideration? What about Ollie Gordon, Oklahoma State? He's got twelve hundred and twenty five yards, twelve rushing TDs. Somebody like him? No, no. Uh, I would say probably. I don't think he's going to get into the conversation. Yeah, amazing year, and again, an amazing season. But yeah, yeah. I haven't. I have not seen his name thrown around too much. I don't think. Uh, Part of it's probably, again, that he's on Oklahoma State and they don't have as much national attention. Right. Um, even though they've got their record is solid. Maybe I think if he can ha- have a really good ending to their season and they somehow went out and then beat Texas mm-hmm. and they finished top 10 and he's a big part of that, then I think maybe he can get, you know, thrown into that conversation. Right. Uh, but he's they're going to have a long way to go for for him to get there, probably. Yeah, and I, I was just randomly throwing him out there. Just the bet he's only a sophomore, by the way. So sophomore running back out of Oklahoma State, Ollie Gordon, ladies and gentlemen, 174 rushing attempts, 12 rushing touchdowns, 1225 rushing yards, and we, they've still got three games left. So random, but there you go. Um, how's here's a news segment for you, folks. We're gonna react to Week Ten, but before we get into some of our more in depth reactions. Here's a quick reaction segment here where just, you know, off the cuff, we're going to react to some of the games that happened last week in week 10. Starting with, we briefly mentioned this one, Ohio State defeated Rutgers 35 to 16. And Garrett, early on, Rutgers was actually kind of being competitive. Yeah, no, this was definitely too close for comfort for uh, for Ohio State. They went into halftime down 9-7. Um and I mean, we've seen them struggle early before we saw it against Maryland. They struggled early and then mm-hmm. kind of pulled it away at the end. So they did that again. This game, um, did it with their defense. 
And yeah, I think, I mean, Rutgers is a decent team. They were six and two coming into it. And, right. you know, I, I'm of the opinion that a lot of big 10 teams are overrated generally. Uh, I don't think that it's, you know, some of these middle of the road teams, you know, your Iowa's, your Rutgers, teams like that aren't, I don't think Hater. they're that great, but I mean, I, I just, Garrett hates yeah, the big 10 my folks. Did you listen to our college basketball show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, I think Kyle McCord, um, you know, he was pretty efficient, not asked to do a lot. Travion Henderson played really well, 128 yards. And, uh, he also added, uh, five catches for 80 yards. So kind of a do it all game for him. Mm-hmm. Um, big catches in the end zone from Marvin Harrison jr. As well. He only had four catches, but you know, they were big ones and, right. uh, big goal line fades. He, uh, you know, showed off that he's a, such a reliable target from a cord that, you know, he, he's, he's that type of receiver that he can really bail out a quarterback and make him look a lot better than he is. And I think that's really important for Ohio state when they start playing these tougher opponents mm-hmm. that, um, He's got someone like that he can go to against a stifling defense, saw it against Penn State. So, right. yeah, good win for Ohio State. And, yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, they stayed number one in the rankings. I don't, uh, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of that personally. I don't think this team is as good as, you know, the Georgias, the Michigans, but they keep winning and that's kind of right. been their the story of their season. They just find a way to win every game with tough defense and solid offense. So, um, yeah, just, uh, another solid, uh, solid win for them. Yeah. And there you go. Ohio state improves to nine and O Rutgers falls to six in three with the loss. And, uh, just really quickly here. Yeah. I think Ohio state and Kyle McCord is kind of peaking, at the right time he may not have thrown for a lot of yards in that game but you really don't have to with Travion Henderson playing like he is like you said 22 carries 128 yards and a tutty um if you're Kyle McCord you can just pick your spots and guess who you're going to pick your spots with you got Marvin Harrison Jr. who he completed beautiful fade routes to all day and uh, he finished with two of those touchdowns. G. Scott Jr. got the other. And Trevion Henderson also led the way in receiving that game. Five receptions, 80 yards. Didn't get a touchdown, but 16 yards per catch, not bad. So a decent rely- – uh, Trevion Henderson, to me, him coming back has really been a game changer for this Michigan – or excuse me, Ohio State team. And um, as a result, they're really starting to peak as they get ready. They're you know they got to be careful and not look ahead – but we all know that they're on a collision course for that team up north, as they would call it. So um, good times for Ohio State. Um, moving on, the seat just keeps getting hotter for Texas A&M's coach. Uh-oh. Ole Miss defeats Texas A&M 38-35. to And uh, this was a pretty good game, Garrett. But it just, it, Texas A&M, I, they just don't win these kind of games. They just really don't. I don't trust them. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I think Ole Miss is a really good football team, mm-hmm. and you know Texas A&M played them well, but these are the kind of games that when you're fighting for your job, it it doesn't matter almost uh, how good the opponent is. You're playing in the SEC, Texas A&M. You have high expectations with the amount of money that they're putting into the program, the level of recruits they're bringing in. Yep. At some point, you you just have to start winning, and it doesn't even matter who the opponent is when you keep losing like this. Um, the seat just keeps getting warmer. 
I, we've been saying it all year that Chimbo's on the hot seat and probably deserves to be gone. Yep. And you know they're five and four now, and I just don't see how you know they're they'll probably end up you know they have Mississippi State and then Abilene Christian next two games, and then they'll probably go in and win at LSU, just a a random upset that right. they always pull, and then Jimbo keep his job. Right. You know they'll pull off an eight and four. And, but, you know, um, yeah, they, I mean, they played well again. I think Ole Miss is a really good football team. Uh, they had, you know, quarterback go down. Max Johnson came in. He's playing solid through for 300 yards. But yeah, I think that, um, yeah, Jimbo definitely deserves being on the hot seat. But as far as Ole Miss goes, a solid win for them. I mean, you know, they're top 10, ninth, I think right now in the new playoff rankings, eight and one. And they're having a fantastic season. They had that tough loss mm-hmm. to Alabama earlier. But other than that, they've been really, really flawless. Right. Uh, they got such a balanced attack. Trey Harris, 11 catches, 213 yards and a touchdown last week. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, the Jackson Dart playing really well, 387 yards, two touchdowns. Ole Miss looks really, really solid. And they've got a great game at Georgia next week. And Top I mean, 10. you know, yeah, they're. I mean, if Alabama slips up, they could find themselves in the conference championship game. So, yeah, great. Just a, another great win and um, for a great season for Ole Miss. Yeah. And uh, you know how I feel about Jimbo. He, um, I, I just don't think he's he's really never built something of his own. I think he was riding off the coattails of Bobby Bowden at Florida State, and he was able to bring in recruits and you know, big names based off of that program that was left behind for him. Uh, and, and then here at Texas A&M, again, he's been able to recruit. I'll give him that. But uh, how much does that have to do with uh, Texas A&M as, a, M as a program and the trend they've been heading in towards and how the money that's been pumped into the program? Um, you know, can we can we really give all the credit to Jimbo there? And like you right. said, if if they finish – eight and four they're five and four right now if they win out against mississippi state abilene christian and then go on the road and beat a really solid lsu team i'm again i i wouldn't i honestly wouldn't be shocked because it just seems like that's the random game that the jimbo will go in and win and it's right. kind of at the end of the year lsu doesn't really have too much to play for texas a&m doesn't really have too much to play for it's a mini rivalry game they're trying to pump it up as a rivalry game just because everyone else in the sec plays a rival that week so they're like hey texas mm-hmm. a&m and lsu you guys fight um and we've seen some crazy games between those two so maybe something falls in his favor and if they do go eight and four I could see him keeping his job just because, hey, look at the trajectory and, and the recruiting that I'm still bringing in. Um, if they if they lose one of those games, I could see I could see AM moving on. Seven and five for the number one recruiting class, it doesn't translate, especially in the SEC, especially with the amount of money that boosters are putting into this program. So that's just my gut feel, and um, we'll have to see what happens going forward. Moving on, Florida State, uh, fourth-ranked Florida State defeats Pitt 24-7. to But, Garrett, this was kind of an ugly one. I mean, Florida State didn't look great throughout the game, but is this just another case of, hey, well, we found a way to win, so get off my back, Garrison? Uh, I, I mean, I would say so. I, 
this game doesn't really concern me too much. Obviously, Pitt's not very good, but Florida State was missing a lot of key pieces. Um, Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman were both out this game, mm. so that's a huge part of their offense missing. And Jordan Travis still played phenomenally. You know, 360 right. yards and a touchdown. Um, Defense was you know, great. They held, yeah, they held him to seven points, and yeah, I, this game does really doesn't concern me too too much. If I'm Florida State, you know, they kept it close early, but and we've seen Florida State do that in the past, but they they pulled away at the at the end, a 17 point win, uh, not as big of a blowout as they would have liked, but considering again their top two weapons on offense were out, I think that you know they're happy to just get the win and move on. I don't think it's anything to worry about, honestly. Yeah. Well, looking ahead, Florida State takes on Miami. It's at home, so I favor Florida State big I would have regardless, but I favor Florida State big time in that one. They should go to 10-0. and 0. And then looking ahead after that, they got North Alabama and then a trip to the Swamp to take on Florida to wrap up their regular season. And then, of course, the ACC championship. So Florida State should be getting primed and ready. Um, how about this? A Pac-12 game. Arizona thumps UCLA 27-10. to And again, Arizona just picking up speed here for that 9-3 and finish that I was talking about. Yeah, another uh, another really solid win for them. UCLA is a really tough team. Um, their defense is really, really strong. And, you know, uh, another big game for uh, Fafita. 300 yards, three touchdowns, 25-32 uh, on his passes. So, yeah, big win for Arizona, and like you said, they have a really good shot at finishing third in the conference now. Um, yeah, UCLA, again, they, they've they had a really solid season, great defense, but um, yeah, Arizona's just hot right now and went in and got a big dub. There you go. Penn State defeats Maryland 51-15. to Penn State has been on a roll the last couple of weeks. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. Maryland, is it's not maybe not an elite program by any stretch of the imagination, but they got some ballers on that team. And they even pushed Ohio State at a couple of points in when they made the trip to the, the horseshoe. So, um, I mean, man, Penn State. And, and that's a, that seems to be a game that Penn State would maybe struggle in uh, but ever since losing to Ohio State, I mean, it seems as though Penn State's starting to turn it on a little bit. Yeah, Penn State's defense is just—I mean, they're unbelievably good. Um, this Maryland offense again. Maryland started off really hot. They won their first five games going to the Ohio State game. I thought they had a chance to maybe scare Ohio State, and they did early. But Ohio State was able to pull away, mm-hmm. and then they've—you know—they're zero and four after that so they're five and five and four now but right yeah penn state's defense just was uh just too much again for maryland um and yeah the the offense gets it done i don't you know i don't love penn state's offense but they're so you know they're still i think a top 10 scoring offense just based on points because their defense is so strong their offense really doesn't have to do a lot to score Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean Another uh, just another solid win for Penn State. People are de- after the loss. Obviously, you know they had higher expectations. They thought maybe we can uh, maybe we can go undefeated and be that team in the playoffs. Be the team that everyone thinks Michigan or Ohio State are. After the loss, that kind of put a damper on things. But you know they came out, made a statement that you know they still are an elite team. And uh, yeah, good win for them. Good win indeed. And uh, they are now eight and one. And obviously looking ahead to this week.
Oklahoma State. Garrett, what happened? Oklahoma State defeats Oklahoma 27-24. to And now the Cowboys, we talked about this before the show, they control their own destiny as far as a potential spot in the Big 12 championship. What What's going on in Oklahoma? And I... I don't know. Um, I thought, you know, going into this, going into the Texas game, I thought, man, this is a pretty legit team. I thought their defense was going to be much improved, and and just uh, two disappointing losses after a huge win against Texas. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't, uh, I really know exactly what it is. I mean, I feel like they played pretty solid this game um and i i guess the the main problem would be on the defensive side of the ball um mainly their pass defense they gave up 330 yards but yeah i mean it's just uh another disappointing season for oklahoma i really thought again right. after the texas game I, I really thought they had a great shot of running the table and making the playoffs but mm-hmm. uh lost to kansas and then oklahoma state right after it's just Really, really disappointing for uh, for Brett Venables and his team. But right. yeah, I don't know. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to figure things out in Oklahoma because you know to have the season go this way, winning at Texas and then losing to teams you shouldn't. It's um, yeah. that's a tough one to swallow. It is. And the Longhorns suddenly they're they're salivating a little bit here, thinking, oh, Oklahoma State, maybe we can handle them. But hey, Oklahoma right. State, they might. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, they might dodge the bullet of having to play Oklahoma again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like I mean, I like you were uh, starting to say, Oklahoma State's starting to look really good, and like they're not going to be uh, an easy win either. Right, right, and I mean, uh, Oklahoma State's defense was probably the biggest surprise for me in this one because I thought Oklahoma would still put up thirty plus points, and if Oklahoma State was going to beat them, it was going to be a crazy shootout, you know. But they actually held Oklahoma to twenty four and kept everything in front of them, and it was more of a bend-don't-break mentality. So shout-out to Coach Gundy down in Oklahoma State. It just seems like he he just always does more with less. And uh, shout-out to the Cowboys there for getting that win. Like we said, Oklahoma State is now 7-2 and two in the Big 12. They're uh, they're tied with uh, Oklahoma. Or, uh, yeah, are they tied with Oklahoma? Let me see. No. Uh, they're actually one ahead of Oklahoma. One ahead of Oklahoma. So they're yeah, tied with Texas lost. right now. That's what I was trying to say. So Texas and Oklahoma State sit atop the Big 12, and they control their own destiny the rest of their way. And again, you and I were talking before uh, the show, their schedule is much softer. So uh, they they could they could be going all the way here to the Big 12 championship. Moving on here, uh, we've got Notre Dame at Clemson. Final score. Uh, this is getting a little bit more in depth here, Garrett. Uh, should have sh- should have had a transition here, but we're getting a little more in depth with this one because we covered it last week. And I'm just gonna say, I picked this one, Clemson. Notre Dame at Clemson. The final score: Clemson wins 31 to 23. And uh, this this was Phil Maffa's show, Garrett. He was he had 36 carries for 186 yards. Two touchdowns for Clemson. And, of course, their defense played a big part as well as they had a pick six at one point. Really gave Sam Hartman fits 
on that end uh, for Notre Dame's offense. Uh, Audric Estime had a pretty good day, you know, 87 yards on the ground and a touchdown. But Clemson, I mean, they're, they're, if there's one thing we can say about them, their defense has looked legit. Yeah, I think that's been their story all season. Is their defense is so strong, but offensively they struggle to figure it out, much like Notre Dame. Uh, I think Clemson's better than their 5-4 and four record. Uh, and, yeah, their defense just came to play today. And Phil Moff, like you said, huge day on the ground. Notre Dame didn't have an answer for him. Um, defense played great. Sam Hartman really struggled throwing the ball, mm-hmm. um, completing less than 50% of his passes, only 146 yards, two picks. Um, and then Estime, I mean, he had an okay you know, game, you know, five yards of carry, but right. that's just not, when you're running it only 17 times to him, it's, it's, it's just not going to get it done. Yeah. And, you know, really their, their best part of their offense was Sam Hartman scrambling and running the ball. Right. Uh, I mean, he had seven carries for 68 yards and a touchdown ripped off a 38 yarder, but yeah, I mean, they, they really just couldn't get anything going. And yeah, I think it's just another testament how good Clemson's defense has been. You know, a disappointing season for them, but I think their defense has been the lone bright spot. And yeah, um, just uh, disappointing for for Notre Dame. Yeah, like, yeah, we talked about them earlier, but we had a lot of high hopes for Sam Hartman, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked so strong coming into it, and we thought he was going to be, you know, the savior of Notre Dame. He was going to be the one key piece they had been missing for all these years. But right. mm-hmm. uh, maybe you mentioned it. Maybe it's just the weapons that are holding him back. But I just, you know, against some some of these games, it's there's really no excuse for how poor their offense has been. Um, as much as I like Clemson's defense. Uh, they're they're not I wouldn't say they're elite elite as far as you know some of these big 10 teams go so yeah just uh I would say disappointing season for Sam Hartman and Notre Dame as a whole as well indeed and you know to the Clemson side of things especially offensively it's not like Cade Klubnick had a great day in his own right 13 to 26 109 yards one touchdown one pick uh, Phil Maffa really carried the way, and Notre, Dame, like you said, Notre Dame didn't have an answer for him. So shout out to Notre Dame for you know saying, "Hey, you're going to have to beat us on the ground." It just so happens happens that Clemson did, and right in in a game like this where you know it's both offenses are struggling, um, I'm always going to go with the better coach, and to me, that's Dabo Sweeney, and that's kind of the result we had in this game and I look at the efficiency numbers here you know Notre Dame outgained Clemson 329 to 285 it just so happens that Clemson right. has a great defense um and just efficiency wise Clemson had 19 first downs so they were able to stay on the field keep the ball moving you know they they were five of grounded th- pound grounded that's right that's right and Notre Dame you look at their third down efficiency they were 3 of 13 they're 0 of 1 on fourth uh, they they had eight less plays, four less uh, minutes of time of possession because Clemson was able to stay on the field. They also had five penalties for 40 yards. So at the end of the day, I think the discipline of Clemson won out. And even though they've had a rough season, uh, this this hasn't gone the way we envisioned it, how many experts envisioned it. Um, still, they're able to, I think, the discipline of Clemson and a Dabo Sweeney coach team and a program that gave them the edge in this one. So, and that's why Clemson was able to come out on top. And 
you know, looking at the the rest of the oops, I accidentally scrolled away from it. Bear bear with me here. I was going to talk about Clemson the rest of the way. There we go. Clemson the rest of the way, standing at five and four. They've got Georgia Tech. They've got North Carolina. They got South Carolina. You could argue that Clemson, maybe they're trending in the right direction now. They finish the season eight and four, go to a bowl game, finish nine and four. Not at all what we're used to with Clemson, but maybe they rally here and they have some momentum heading for next year. You know, something like that for Dabo would not surprise me in the slightest. And, um, you know, a, a good win for Clemson here. Uh, let's see. Now let's head south. We've got 13th ranked Missouri at number one, Georgia. And, you know, I, both of us picked Georgia here. And, uh, you know, we we thought Missouri was having a great season, but just didn't think that they were going to have the, the weapons to do it. And we were right. But, hey, Missouri really pushed Georgia here. Georgia wins 30 to 21. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think Georgia's just happy to win and move on. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really strong Missouri team. People don't think about Missouri a lot in terms of, you know, football prowess, but They've got a really solid team, uh, especially offensively. Brady Cook's been playing really well this year, and Georgia's defense really gave him problems. Uh, very similar to the way Sam Hartman played. I mean, he was only 14 of 30, mm-hmm. 212 yards, two picks. Um, and But yeah, they, they played him really close uh, through most of the game, but you know their last two drives, both ending in picks. The Georgia defense just came up really strong. So... Uh, I think one thing that would be a little concerning if I'm Georgia is the amount of long passes they gave up. Uh, Brady Cook, you know, he was 14, only 14 of 30, uh, only completing 14 passes, but mm-hmm. he was able to hit some big shots, you know, 39, 33, 23, 21, a lot of big plays. Um, they have a pretty explosive passing attack. So I think that was able to keep them in the game. But at the end of the day, you know, you're only going to be able to score on Georgia's defense so many times. And right. towards the end, the defense really stepped up. Uh, D lineman, uh, a big D tackle, got a kind of a game ceiling pick late. Um, pretty exciting finish. But yeah, just um, I think Georgia's, again, probably happy with the win. Um, mm-hmm. They're not concerned about how they got it. They've had, they, you know, they had the same problem against Missouri last season. They struggled and had to beat Missouri in a close one. So um, I don't think that's uh, an indictment on their season as a whole and how, you know, how good they're going to be going forward. And like I said, this Missouri team is really, really strong. And, you know, the way their defense stepped up on the last few drives to to seal the game, I think they're going to be really happy with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, coach. Uh, the, the coach of uh, Georgia, my goodness, like Kirby Smart. There we go. I'm, I'm str- dragging here. Apparently, Kirby Smart was <laughs> uh, had nothing but good things to say about his team in the locker room or in the uh, post game press conference afterwards. Just it's like, hey, there's going to be close games here, and in the SEC, you kind of grow to expect that, and you're just happy to win and move on on to the next week. And uh, that's kind of the mentality his team seems to play with. You know, they they have a very short memory. If something goes wrong and they get beat on a play, it's it's not sinking the team. They're very relaxed, and it's on to the next one. So, uh, And Carson Beck, probably the most important thing about uh, he, he, to me is just his improvement week to week. I mean, now he's 20 of, 21 of 32, 254 yards, two touchdowns, and he just seems to be growing into that elite, mature quarterback 
which is kind of a scary thing to think about when uh, especially he's doing this without his best weapon Brock Bowers uh, best tight end prospect you know we've seen in some time so yeah look out for Georgia's they're picking up steam here to, for a strong finish to the season moving on yeah, I was oh, going oh, oh, to add on you know Carson Beck is playing amazing that was going to be the we mentioned it last week um, but that was kind of the only question mark about this Georgia team heading into the season is the new quarterback coming in. How is that going to play out? And he's been phenomenal. He's someone who right now on Heisman odds, I think he's two, three, four, five, six, seventh right now. Um, mm-hmm. If he's playing this way, I expect that to be even higher. He's someone who I think deserves to be in the conversation for how well he's played. We mentioned, right. you know, people were questioning how well he'd play without Brock Bowers, his go-to tight end, his safety blanket. And, and he's still been phenomenal even without Brock Bowers. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, Carson Beck was playing phenomenally. And that's, that's really scary. If you're, uh, you know, one of these other playoff teams and you're thinking, what is George's weak spot? Right. I mean, typically we've known their identity is running the ball and defense, but now all of a sudden you've got a great passing attack to go with maybe the best defense in football. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, I don't know how you beat that. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident in Georgia going forward as being the best team in the country with especially with Carson Beck at quarterback. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we we're going to talk about them in a second. So stay tuned on that as they've got another big matchup this week. Um, another primetime game last week, fifth ranked Washington took a trip down to Southern California to take on the then ranked 20th. USC Trojans the final score Washington wins 52 to 42 Garrett you were right this was a shootout um one of the key moments I wrote down during that game was a huge sack from Washington's number 52 that was Voy Tanufi uh he sacked Caleb Williams for a 12-yard loss and the Huskies were only up three at that point but because of that sack USC wasn't able to kick a tying field goal they had to punt it and then Washington went down and put the exclamation point on it they ran the ball incredibly effectively uh, which is why they were able to bleed the clock so well to where USC couldn't respond and then just another note here Zion uh, I'm probably going to butcher this Tupola Fatui he played despite the passing of his father last week and and just really quick Garrett uh, I've got a quick video to play here just of a clip of him and a brief interview afterwards just really really emotional stuff I mean these teams were laying it all out there and Zion was out there playing despite his father. Here's the clip. Obviously an emotional night for you. You lost your dad last week. We know you love him. Tell me what this meant to you. Yeah, you know, I just, um, this week was really hard, but uh, I knew my dad wanted me to play. You know, he loves this game. He loves you, dog, bro. And uh, I know I'd just be doing him wrong if I didn't play, but uh, I think what I was able to play good in his memory, oh, man, that was him playing through me, you know? I mean... The beginning of the game, I don't even know if I wanted to play, to be honest. I'm here for my brothers, but I'm glad I was glad I was able to play a good game, bro. You played great. Mm, so you just see the passion there from Zion and just a really emotional moment. And then on the other side, Garrett, Caleb Williams, he was also incredibly emotional after the loss. I'm I'm sure you saw it where he jumped up into the stands, was hugging his mom and um just powerful stuff. And these athletes are just leaving it all out there on the field. Yeah, I think that a lot goes into that, you know, with the struggles of USC, I think a lot of people have been questioning, even going back to last year, people have been questioning Caleb Williams and his, his work ethic, how dedicated he is to winning. Um, that's been a big 
question mark. People were saying he might sit out the rest of the season, and that was a lot of just speculation surrounding him. And so, um, you know, he said he, there's no chance he's doing that. He's out here playing, and it just, I mean, things like this, both for both sides from uh, from both players, kind of showed just how much pressure and stress these people are going through, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, both on and off the football field, and everything that they're going through while they're playing the game. So, yeah, I mean, just, uh, I mean, yeah, tough to watch uh, the clip of Caleb crying on the sidelines afterwards. It um, humanizes the players a bit for sure. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, as far as the game goes, you know, USC had a chance right up till the end and both offenses were rolling. But at the end of the day, you mentioned it. Washington's defense just made a couple plays that really changed the tide of the game. And that's that's what it comes down to in a game like this where, you know, teams are just trading touchdowns. A turnover is so costly. You you lose your opportunity and then give them a, an easy chance to score. That happened right before the uh at the uh the end of the first half. They traded touchdowns. I mean, we had uh one, two, three, four, five, six straight touchdown drives between the teams, and then USC got the ball. Fumbled it on the first play. Caleb Williams dropped back, and we've seen it before. I think he leads the lead, leads the country in fumbles over the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. And he dropped back, was careless with the football, strip sack, and then three play, three plays later, uh, Washington scores off of it, and then they take a seven nothing a seven point lead into the half. Right, and so it's just things like that. You mentioned then the sack at the end of the game to force about a field goal range. They just made a couple plays and key moments like that, that really set them over the edge right? and made all the difference in a game where, you know, every drive is crucial. So yeah, Washington defense coming up big there. USC really just couldn't do anything. You know, we talked about Alex Trench getting fired earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been the story of their season, losing these shootouts they did against Utah. Um, so yeah, disappointing. I mean, three losses, knocked out of the top twenty-five. It's not at all where USC wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll see if they can bounce back and have a strong finish to their season. But yeah, just um, just another disappointing season for USC. But on the flip side, for Washington, a huge win for them. You know, uh, they've got some of the main targets that were on their schedule out of the way: Oregon and USC. Um, having to go at USC against this offense was definitely going to be a tall task, no matter what you think of USC. Right. And so now going forward, they've got Utah, who I don't think can keep up with them. Then they've got at Oregon State and Washington State to finish it off. So mm-hmm. um, they've got to be feeling really good about their uh, their playoff chances at this point. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, folks, Washington now has a 16-game winning streak second longest active streak behind Georgia. So Coach DeBoer and his staff are really building something special up in Seattle. And um, yeah, uh, Michael Penix Jr., he didn't even, he this wasn't even one of his biggest days. I mean, 22 of 30, 256 for two touchdowns. Dylan Johnson, 26 carries, 256 yards and four touchdowns. I knew, Garrett, when I saw that, that Grinch was gone. <laughs> there's just no yeah, way because uh, i mean you can handle a shootout between these two great quarterbacks just going at it um that's understandable i guess but when you're giving up when, when they're just you know handing the ball off picking up 10 yards every carry right it's just 
I mean, that's the worst part for for a defense. That's the last thing you want to see as a team that can just feels like they can hand it off and pick up first downs with ease and not have to worry about even putting the ball in the air. Yeah, that's when you know you've got a really bad defense. Right. And it, it was that to me on top of a couple defensive plays here. And we talked about this earlier in the season, too. Like we we both thought USC and Washington were going to be in the conversation but the di- the difference was Washington's defense. We trusted them a little bit more, and that to me was literally the case with this game. Washington winning by ten points here, and then the running game uh, when you're able to just control the clock in that fashion, and USC not even get really get a chance to see the field again. Like if Washington was scoring really quickly, and then Caleb Williams was get able to get back on the field, he had some great moments in the game. Uh, and able to work his magic, then who knows? Maybe the game turns out differently. But because they were able to control the clock in such fashion, uh, USC just wasn't able to hang on. So um, Huskies looking good right now, really control their own destiny as far as uh, a potential meetup here with Oregon once again in the Pac-12 championship game. Can't wait for that one, you know, if everything holds pat. But knowing the Pac-12, they like to trip themselves up. So we'll see. But... Garrett, the game that we both got wrong. I blame you. You tricked me into this. <laughs> LSU loses at Alabama. Listen, <laughs> I said it was, I'm going with my heart here. This is a biased pick. You know, my mind was saying Alabama, but my heart was saying LSU. And the Bible says the heart is not to be trusted. And look what we did. We're in sin. We need to repent. Alabama wins 42 to 28. And, uh, Garrett, all I can say is Jalen Milrow. What a day. Yeah, we talked about earlier in the season, Alabama's quarterback problems were going to be a struggle, much like Georgia. Big question mark there. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Milrow took over that starting job, and he has been improving every week. I mean, this was a fantastic game to watch for the first three quarters. I mean, Jalen Daniels and Jalen Milrow were going back and forth. Yeah. You know, we talked about, the incredible stats of Jane Daniels, how he's got some probably the best stats in in uh, in college football, and Jalen Milrow was going toe to toe with him. I mean, their stats are so similar. They both threw for 219 yards exactly, and mm-hmm. uh, they both rushed for over 150 yards as well. I mean, it was just you know almost like they were going one on one out there. I mean, right? They were both doing it all for their teams, both through the air and on the ground. And yeah, Jalen Milrow has been phenomenal and it, it, they're really relying a lot on his rushing. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the key. And uh, they don't ask him to throw the ball too much. But the thing is when they do ask him to throw, he's been really efficient and he's been able to hit them with those big plays uh, to really just add another dynamic to the offense that they lacked earlier in the season. So right. um, yeah, with Jalen Milrow playing the way that he is improving every week, Alabama's looking like a team that, I mean, they, they, I think they could beat anybody. And so, yeah, they're, people wrote them off again after the early loss and then the struggles against USF. People were questioning if the, the dynasty was over. Right. And I think they've, you know, very easily put, uh, put those questions to bed. Yeah. And uh, Milrow, just what a transformation there. And, and uh, to me, just looking at this game, this, this, this all came down to number one, Jalen Milrow's efficiency on third down at, well, really Alabama as a whole, but the third down efficiency, 11 of 14, that is insane. And that just goes to show how bad 
LSU's defense is. I mean, they're right up there with USC. Uh, maybe a little bit better. I'll give them that. But, you know, um, just just abysmal defensively for LSU, which we're not used to seeing. Um, but, man, just this is the transformation of Milrow. They've won six straight games since that horrible game against USF. And like you said, uh, all signs are clear for Alabama here as a uh, they've got themselves a potential run-in with Georgia in the SEC championship here if they're able to win out. And I think they will. I mean, they've got, they're at Kentucky, uh, which they should be fine. Kentucky's kind of spiraled ever since that big win over Florida. Chattanooga coming to town. And then they go to, this is always a tough one. Like uh, War Eagle, they've, they've got to go play, you know, at Auburn, you know, War Eagle. And even though Auburn's not nowhere near as talented as Alabama, that's still always a tricky game, those rivalry games. So that's going to be interesting to see as well. Um, but uh, all uh, excellent coaching job by Coach Saban. Uh, it just seems as though they've adapted to Milrow along the way. And as a result, the offense is more catered to Milrow. Like you're saying, they're not asking him to do too much uh, as far as throwing is concerned. They say, hey, if you see a lane, take it. And he's doing just that, playing with a lot more freedom. So big stuff for Alabama at this point in the season. And um, I'm going to move on, Garrett. Uh, do, do you have anything else well, to add there? I'm just going to throw in, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, Jaden Daniels got knocked out of this game. Uh, and that kind of put the game to bed. You know, they, they were down 14 uh, about midway through the, maybe early in the fourth a little bit. And Jaden Daniels took a, a pretty big shot to the head. And um, he tried to come back in for a play and then they quickly took him back out. So, right. yeah, the last two drives, he was not in there. And, you know, maybe they could have come back. And you never know with their offense. But, what's yeah, your, I mean. Uh, what's, on this note, what's your gut reaction there? Do you think that that was a legal hit? Do you have a problem with it? Yeah, so he took a shot in the pocket after he threw it. Um, defender came in and he... He, 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 it was a fairly standard tackle, but the, the top of his helmet went up into the, uh, the chin of Jane Daniels, definitely hit him in the head, uh, enough that it, you know, knocked him out of the rest of the game for concussion protocols and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would say it's one of those that it, it's definitely, I would put it under your, you know, a pretty standard football tackle, but given the current nature of what they're calling, I think that most, most of the time you would probably see that as a, a roughing the passer call. Right. Uh, I don't know what your opinion on some of those calls are, but to me, it, if they had thrown the flag, I think it would have been justified, but right. It's not, it wasn't something that seemed too egregious to where I thought, you know, that, that defender's making a dirty play yeah. necessarily yeah, yeah, or anything yeah. like that. But uh, based on the way it's called, I think it probably was just from the helmet to helmet aspect of it. Um, I think it's definitely something that could have been called. And I would tend to agree with you there. I think, um, I frankly, I think college, I think football in general has just gotten a lot softer. So in the past, you know, I, I see a play like that and I think, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's football, man. That's tough. But right. Given the way things have been called recently and the gener- the general I guess the way the rules are laid out now, part of me thinks eh, that that could that could have been a that could have easily been a targeting call there. And you know, at the right. end of the day, I mean Jade uh Jaden was still out. 
So, you know, it right. Would, yeah, it's, it's not going to not going to bring him back in the game. Probably wouldn't have changed it whether they threw the flag or not. Right. So, right. So yeah, kind of inconsequential, but interesting topic, to say the least. Um, yeah. Now, um, I think that's I think we covered all we wanted to cover there as far as week 10 is concerned. Am I missing anything here? Are we good to move on to week 11? Uh, I think we are good. Yeah, I don't think we missed anything. Week 11 it is. And again, we got two new segments here. First, we're going to take our in-depth look at a couple of these games. And then to finish things out, we're going to go to rapid fire. But first, let's start with in-depth. And these first couple of games, maybe at not quite as in-depth as especially uh, the the last one. But, you know, Garrett, you, you brought this up earlier. Number 13, Utah at number five, Washington. Still top 25 battle in Seattle. Uh, hey, that kind of rhymes. There we go. Um, <laughs> Utah's defense is certainly going to travel, and uh, but is this another is this another th- thing of yeah? Well, we saw what Oregon did offensively against Utah. Washington just as talented as Oregon in that sense, probably going to be able to put up plenty of points and have no problem. Yeah, uh, I mean Washington. They're you know it's Utah's ranked eighteenth. But like I said, it's at Washington. They're at home favored by nine and a half points. I think they win this one pretty easily. We saw Utah playing Oregon just got destroyed. And I kind of expect it to be similar. I don't think Washington's defense is as good as Oregon. Maybe Utah has a little bit more room to to move offensively, but I just don't. And as good as their defense is, I just don't think there's any stopping uh, Washington, you know, Oregon has the third ranked offense in terms of yards per play uh, at 7.4. But then Mm. ahead of them tied for first with LSU is Washington with 7.9. You could argue the best offense in the country. And I just don't think that I just don't see Utah's defense stopping them much. And I don't think Utah's offense is going to be able to keep up at all with, with Washington. So yeah, uh, I definitely like Washington this one. I'll even, you know, I like a minus nine and a half as well. I just think that I think Utah's, you know, they've had a good season. They've had a good run. They've, you know, without Cam rising to be seven and two is definitely impressive right. and a testament to the coaching, mm-hmm. uh, the coaching there. But uh, against this Washington team at home, I don't think they're going to be able to keep it close. Right. Yeah. To me, this all comes down to the matchup between the fourth ranked total offense in the Washington Huskies, you know, they, they average 509 yards a game and they score at will 7.97 yards per play, 47 total offensive touchdowns. And this is only on 575 plays, by the way, North Carolina, it ranks third in total offense, but they've had a hundred more plays to do that. So mm. Washington is just very efficient. They strike quickly they have a ground game, which Utah is good at stopping the run. Utah ranks ninth in total defense, so they certainly have an elite defense in their own right. But again, when you when Utah has to worry about a deep passing threat over the top with Michael Penix Jr. and arguably the, the second-best receiving core in the country with what Penix has to work with there, I, Utah just can't pin their ears back and focus on blitzing Penix and fo- focus on stopping the run. They've they've got to watch for the deep ball over the top too, and I think as a result their defense loses some of that oomph that we've seen. And we saw what happened against Oregon. I mean, Oregon put up 34 points. Now Washington's defense, I don't think is going to. Maybe they won't hold Utah to six points, but still, I see this game turning into like a maybe a 35 to 
17, 20, 35, 21 kind of game. Utah just can't keep up at the end of the day. And the Huskies get another ranked win, add to their resume. And like you said, uh, they got Oregon State to look ahead to and Washington State. They should be able to handle business, especially in that rivalry game. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Win for the Huskies there. Uh, any, anything you wanted to add there? I think I think we covered it. Nope, I think we're good. How about this one? USC at six ranked Oregon. USC's offense is really good, Garrett. Do, do they have a shot against <laughs> Oregon on the road at Autzen against one of the <sighs> best defenses in the country, might I add? You know, I would like to say that any game is winnable with Caleb Williams and how good their offense is. Mm-hmm. But there's the but. I knew their it. defense is their <laughs> defense is so bad that I can't trust it. I mean, Oregon has almost as good of an offense as USC, I would say, but they've got the defense to go with it. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me. I, I think Oregon is one of the best teams in the country. They're so well rounded. Right. Um, both offensive and defensively, you know, uh defensively they're thirteenth in uh opponent yards per play. So and then offensively, they're third uh right mm. behind washington so you know they they can do it on both sides of the ball i just i it's impossible for me to to pick usc in this one uh, right. as much as i as much as i like their you know the offense and i would like to say that they can win every game you know they're oregon's favored by 16 and a half at home uh, i mean that's a huge spread for for going against this USC team. I think I think USC I'd like to say they cover that one just because I don't see anybody stopping their offense and it's hard for me to think that Oregon's going to be able to outscore them by that much. Um but I I definitely am very comfortable picking Oregon to win at least. Yeah. No, I'm uh, I would I would generally agree with that just given that USC is on the road at one of the toughest places to play. It's Autzen Stadium. You just fired your defensive coordinator, so there's some shakeup there. You've got two co-defensive coordinators now. Uh, you're you're kind of reeling the last three weeks. I mean, they've lost three of four. Uh, the, the last time they played an environment and against a defense probably as talented was at Notre Dame, and they lost 48-20. to Caleb Williams had a horrible first half in that game with three picks. I don't necessarily think he's going to do that against Oregon. I, st- I think he could bounce back and have a pretty impressive performance there. He's already thinking about the NFL. He's got to you know show out to the scouts, especially if he wants ownership in an NFL team. And... You know, I I think that we could see a solid performance offensively for USC. That being said, I think Oregon's offense, you know, you talked about, you brought up some of their other statistics here. As a total offense, the only offense better in the country is LSU. Oregon is second, and they put up 538.7 yards per game, 56 offensive touchdowns. They average almost eight yards a play, over 4,800 total yards this is off of 626 plays. And the reason they're able to run so many plays is because the defense is great about getting the ball back to the offense. And you got Bo Nix, who doesn't make mistakes ever. I mean, he's played 60-plus games in his career, and he's just seen it all. And when he's that comfortable at home, in going up against arguably the worst defense in college football, who just lost their defensive coordinator, and they don't tackle well, they don't cover well, they don't stop the run. It's just, I think it's going to be a long day for USC. I personally think that Oregon covers 
in this game. I, you know, I could see that USC just not being able to stay on the field quite as often, even though USC by total right. offense, by the way, is eighth. So they're elite in their own right. There's no question. But I just think Oregon's defense is able to push them off the field, maybe force a couple of tough third downs. And, you know, I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if it's similar to the Notre Dame game as far as score is concerned. Oregon just runs away with this. Yeah, I I would not be surprised either. I think Oregon's game plan is going to be similar to uh, what they did in the Washington game. Uh, they're going to, I think they're going to try and run the ball as much as possible. Um, and they've had success, you know, they're, they're um, tied for first in yards per carry. They like to run the ball and they're very effective at it. And, you know, mm-hmm. seeing how well Washington succeeded running the ball against USC. And I think they're going to have that same game plan because, you know, it's a double edge. It, it it does two things at once for them. It 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 you know it keeps uh, their defense fresh. They don't have to be on the field as much, and then it keeps Caleb Williams off the field. And right. you know, like you mentioned, I think they're gonna be able to force him off and keep him on the sideline for dominate time possession, limit his chances. And I think that's gonna be the game plan. I think it's gonna work. I don't see how they stop uh, Oregon running the ball. They've shown that you know. The opposing team can just line up, run it up the middle every time on you, and they can't stop it. So, right, yeah, I don't see how they stop Oregon. And I think if if Oregon can commit to the ground game and keep uh, Caleb Williams off the field, get a few turnovers, they might can cover that sixteen and a half. Um, right. To me, though, it's it's a little bit. It's just a little bit dangerous given how good the USC offense is. Mm-hmm. I think you know. I think they're gonna be able to put up points, and yeah, it, it's a close one, but. Yeah, def- definitely like Oregon comfortably, but I don't. I just don't know how about how much sixteen and a half is a lot to give up against USC. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be close. I think right. a little bit closer. Right, right. Well, there you go. Six ranked Oregon has their eyes on Washington in the Pac-12 championship game as well. How about this one? Fourteenth ranked Tennessee on the road at sixteenth ranked Mizzou. I mean, this is a pretty big game in its own right here. Maybe a battle of tier two SEC teams. Yeah, both teams are having pretty solid seasons. I mean, both come in seven to two. Um, I really like this Missouri team. I think that I think they match up really well just because. So what Tennessee wants to do defensively or what do they want to do offensively is they want to run the ball. Um, they're third in the country at 228 rushing yards a game. They do it efficiently as well. They, um, mm. 5.6 yards per attempt. That's seventh. Uh, that's, that's what they want to do. They run it 40 times per game and they've got a three headed monster. Uh, Jalen Wright, Barry small, Dylan Sampson. They all have over 70 carries over 400 yards and they all average over five yards a carry. Oof. Um, Jalen Wright specifically, he's got 826 yards on the season, averaging seven and a half yards a carry. So they're, they're monsters in, uh, in the run game. That's, that's their specialty. Missouri defensively, um, they're giving up 123 rushing yards a game. That's 34th in the country. That's not elite by any measure, but it's not terrible. It's manageable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that the biggest difference in, uh, in this game is that Missouri's offense, I think, matches up really well against Tennessee's defense. Uh, Tennessee's defense has been solid all season. They're only giving up 818 points per game. And, but the strength of their run, their defense is the run game. 
They're 14th, and uh, they're giving up less than 100 yards a game, um, only giving up 2.9 yards per carry, which is top 10 in the country. Right. But they've been pretty weak in their past defense these past couple weeks. Uh, Jalen Milrow, very similar to what we talked about, uh, he, he was not asked to throw it much. He only completed 14 passes, but those passes went for 220 yards. He was completing passes for 46, 34, 22 yards. Being He was able to hit them for so many big plays when he did throw passes that um, it, it, it was it was uh, it was enough to to beat them defensively. So right. and then we saw Devin Leary uh, when they played Kentucky. He's been he's had he's had an okay season, but he had his best game against Tennessee. He threw throwing for 372 yards, two touchdowns, and again hitting him for 34, 32, 22 yards, hitting him for a big play uh, left and right. And I think that's going to be the problem, is because Missouri's Missouri's offense is predicated around the pass. Um, they're 11th in the country mm-hmm. in 9.3 yards per pass attempt. They're very efficient throwing the ball, and against Georgia, who I think probably has maybe the best secondary uh, in the country. That's what they do best this year is right. stopping the pass. They were able to hit them for gains of 39, 33, 23, 21. Uh, big play after big play. And Luther Burden, one of the best receivers in the country, he's averaging 15 yards a catch. He's got almost 1,000 yards this season. One of the best receivers in the country. Um, him and Brady Cook, I think, have a chance against this Tennessee defense to really light them up. And I think that's going to be the biggest problem for Tennessee. I don't see how they stop the Missouri passing game. So um, I like Missouri in this one, especially at home. And, Mm -hmm. you know, both teams come in seven and two. Uh, Somehow, I don't know, Tennessee's favored in this one by one point on the road. Uh, But give me Missouri. I love Missouri in this one. I think they just match up really well. I think, again, I think their pass offense matches up really well against Tennessee's defense. And I think that's going to be the difference maker. Right. And, you know, to to your point, you know, if if Tennessee wants to win this game, like you said, if they can establish a run game to where they're really staying on the field, they're controlling the clock, they're keeping Missouri's offense, uh, high powered offense off the field. um, That's 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 only going to bode well for Tennessee. And maybe that's what would help them get that win there. But that being said, you already brought up Missouri's rush defense. Uh, this is a total compilation of their rush defense. Defense here, they're a top twenty-five rush defense. They're ranked twenty-fourth, one hundred fourteen point three yards per game. They only give up three point six yards a touch or yards per carry, and they've only given up five rushing touchdowns total on the season. So, to me, yes, it's maybe not you know it's maybe not super elite here, like say a Penn State who's ranked first, only giving up sixty rushing yards a game. But still, that's a pretty solid, stout front. And I think as a result of that, and you already brought this up, but the, they're playing at home. I like Missouri at home. I like what I saw against Georgia. They, Missouri has challenged Georgia. And to go down and to do that in between the hedges, I, I just I, I respect that. And that, that, that means something to me. And so I like Missouri in this game as well. I think they're going to be able to throw the ball to your point. I think they're going to get enough stops against Tennessee on defense to where Tennessee is not going to be able to control the tempo or the clock, and therefore they're going to hand the ball back to Missouri's powerful offense. And like you said, I just don't trust Tennessee's defense, or passing defense specifically. So 
as a result. And and then when there's something to be said, it's more anecdotal here, but when you're able to beat somebody through the air like that, that tends to loosen up what is normally a great rush defense, which Tennessee has. Um, so it, to me, I think I think Missouri's got the got it here. Um, although just bringing it up really quick, Tennessee is ranked 13th in total rush defense, only 97 yards of rushes, uh, rushing yards per game. That's really impressive. But again, once you've been beaten yeah. over the top, you, you you just lose a little bit of that oomph there. Right. Yeah. I, I, I do like Tennessee's, uh, Tennessee's defense. Um, but again, I mean, like you said, I think if they're able to get things going in the passing game, obviously that opens things up a little bit overall, but I just think, you know, Brady cook, they're going to ask him to do a lot this game. Um, just given the matchup. And I think he's up to the task. He's got Luther burden. I think he's going to have a great day and yeah, I think they're going to do well. And, and again, I think their rush defense is good enough that they can keep Tennessee, uh, from run, just running all over them. Right. Um, they played Kansas state earlier this year. That was the, the first big game for them that kind of put them on the map. They got a win against Kansas state. Kansas state loves to run the ball mm-hmm. and they held Kansas state to under four yards of carry. And so I don't think this is a team that's going to be uh, just, you know, pushed around by a, right. by a solid run game. I think. Um, and again, you know, Joe Milton is good in his own right. He can make plays down the field um, if they do need him to, but I just I trust Brady Cook in the Missouri passing offense uh, right. a little bit more. So, yeah, in that situation, I I do really like Missouri in this one. There we go. Both Garrett and I pick Mizzou. Let's see how we do this week. A big one here, a top ten matchup. Ole Miss, they're firing on all cylinders. We talked about them earlier. At number one, Georgia, ten versus one. Garrett, what do you think? Yeah, I mentioned earlier. I I really like Ole Miss. I think that I think they're a great team. Their only loss was a a tough one to Alabama, mm-hmm. and it's 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 tough because I again I think Georgia's the best team in the country, and they're playing uh, at Georgia. It's it's hard to root against them or hard to pick against them there. Um, so I don't I don't know. Ole Miss they. They have a great passing attack. They're throwing for almost 300 yards a game, mm-hmm. uh, scoring 39 points a game, and they're very efficient through the air. Uh, seventh in the country in yards per pass attempt, but their offense they they really center around the run game. They run it 40 times a game. That's uh, that's 22nd. But we saw again in the Alabama game, the one game uh, that they really struggled. They had to kind of abandon the run, and that's probably you know by Alabama's mm-hmm. design, and you know. It's hard. It's hard. That's the strength of their team. It's they're very hard to run against. They forced uh, Ole Miss to kind of get out of the identity, abandon the run game, forced Jackson Dart to to make plays, and that's that's really where they kind of exposed the Ole Miss offense. They were only able to get ten points against Alabama, and I think that that's going to be the key for Georgia. Georgia's defense, you know, we think about them as being an, just an elite run stopper, and in mm-hmm. a sense, they are. They. They're still a solid run defense, but if you look at their defense overall, that's definitely the weaker side of it. They're giving up 3.6 yards per rush attempt, which is it's it's very good, 
Right. But it's 33rd in the country. It's not, it's not elite by any measure. And we've seen teams in the past have success running the ball against them. Like we mentioned, we've talked about it before, but Auburn uh, is a great example of that. They were able to find success running the ball against them by not running it up the middle into the strength of the team. They were able to use um, use the quarterback and get outside in the run game. And that's where George's defense really struggles. And so I think, especially I trust Lane Kiffin to somehow scheme that run game to prey on that defense, the the weakness of that Georgia defense, which is around the edge. And I think they can have some success there. Yeah. And I think if they're able to do that, that'll open things up in the past game. Um, we saw Trey Harris go for 213 receiving yards last week against Texas A&M. I think he's going to be key. If they're going to be able to open things up, they're going to have to look to him pretty often. Um, mm-hmm. so I think Ole Miss can match up against Georgia fairly well there. I don't think they're going to struggle as much as they did against Alabama, only putting up 10 points. I think they can do a lot better than that against this Georgia defense. Um, as far as Ole Miss's defense goes, that's going to be the, the, really the tough part. They, they really struggled offensively. They don't, right. they don't shine anywhere in particular. Their, their, their pass rush is decent. They're top 10 in sack rate. Um, I don't really see them being able to pressure Carson Beck that much, though. The Georgia offensive line is so tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be the really, I think that's going to be the difference maker in this game. Is I don't, I think Georgia's offense is going to be too tough for the Ole Miss defense. I like, man, I, I like Ole Miss a lot, uh, but I have to pick Georgia. Um, Georgia's favored by ten and a half. That's, I think mm-hmm. that's a bit. They are at home, but. I think that's a bit much. They've played a lot of teams really close. Like we mentioned earlier, Missouri gave them a really good shot. And I think this old Miss team is better than Missouri. And I think they give them a, I think they give Georgia a, a really tough game. And I, I like Ole Miss plus 10. I like them to cover the spread, but I, I just have to pick Georgia just because I don't see Ole Miss's defense stopping Carson Beck and the, the Georgia offense. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And pick Georgia. Oh boy! (laughs) Sorry, sorry, folks. Um, (laughs) No, I see the thing against Georgia is they are able to they're able to cover their weaknesses by really compressing the game down to uh, to where every play, every possession matters. And in that sense, I I always have to favor Georgia. I mean they. It, you basically, you have to take advantage of every opportunity you have against them because nine times out of ten, I think Georgia's just a more efficient football team than their opponents. Uh, offensively, right? I think they're gonna they're they're gonna run the ball pretty effectively, and I don't trust Ole Miss's defense to stop the run. And as a result, they're gonna be able to control the clock. They're gonna be able to control the time of possession. They're gonna be able to keep that powerful Ole Miss offense off the field maybe a little bit more. Um, and, and I could see Georgia putting together a, a five minute drive in this game and punching it in the end zone, really making a statement there. And suddenly Ole Miss is thinking, man, we really have to treasure these offensive possessions that we're getting here. We're not going to get that many opportunities. And that puts a lot of pressure, um, on an offense. Now to Ole Miss's credit, they have a great offense of their own. And like you said, I, I think they, Lane Kiffin is smart enough as a coach to where he can really identify some of the weaknesses that George, and they're not big, they're not many, 
but he can identify some weaknesses on that Georgia defense to maybe get it out to right. the edge like you were talking about. And they're still they're a good passing offense too to where I think they're going to be able to beat Georgia a couple times over the top as well. So I definitely, like you said, I like, I like Ole Miss to cover as well. I think it's going to be a great game, a close game. People, you got to be tuning into this one. It's going to be a 7 o'clock start Saturday night in between the hedges, night game. Got to love it. And um, I still like Georgia to win, though. I still think it's going to be – I could see this being like a 28-24 to 24 game or a 20 mm-hmm. – at the biggest I could see it is like a 28-21, to 21, one possession game regardless. And I just think Georgia, because they're used to this moment, they're not shaken at all by being punched in the mouth. They just get right back up. They keep it close, like Kirby Mart says, or Kirby <laughs> Kirby Smart says, uh, Kmart, um, Kirby Mart, Kirby, <laughs> uh, 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 trademark. And I, like I said, it all comes down to them squeezing every ounce of efficiency out of a game that they can. And I just lean towards Georgia in that sense, and that's why they have a twenty-eight game win streak going on right now so i look for them to make it 29 and um it's going to be a great game though so that tune in folks yeah i want to i'm just want to throw it out there um mentioning georgia that there's a possible weakness in their uh their run defense again 33rd in yards per carry on defense definitely not terrible by any means but Mm -hmm. um not what you would, I guess, think of in terms of Georgia. You think of them being, you know, maybe the best run defense in the country. Teams are not, they do not run the ball against Georgia. Georgia faces the least amount of rush attempts in the country, only 26 per game. Um, that's, you know, less than Utah, less than Oregon, mm-hmm. um, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, everyone. They face the least amount of rush attempts. Teams do not want to run the ball against Georgia, even though, you know, statistically, that may be a, a possible weak point against them. You look at Missouri last week. Um, we just talked about their offense. They're averaging 290 passing yards per game. Georgia was able to hold them to 212, but they averaged 141 on the ground, and they were able to mm-hmm. rush for 151 against Georgia. Um, you know, they found success through the run game when their pass game was failing, and that was right. part of what was able to keep them in the game. And I think that, you know, and again, I. I like Lane Kiffin, especially, you know, we know he's a great offensive mind. I think that if he can somehow just commit to the run, like, because, I mean, no one else will do it. Teams do not want to run the ball against Georgia. They just fear them too much. If he can somehow commit and just go for it and develop a game plan to, again, try and take advantage of their weakness of setting the edge and uh, preventing runs to bounce outside. If he can somehow get that defense moving side to side and get some sort of run game going, I could... You know, I think that we could really see Georgia struggle in this one. I think that's going to be the way to keep it close. Mm -hmm. And again, I would not be shocked if Ole Miss can somehow go in there and win. But I just I trust Georgia too much to really bet against them in that in that situation. So, again, right. right. I like Georgia in this one. I like Ole Miss to keep it close, but I've got to go with Georgia. I just I think they're too good. They're too, too well-rounded. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm with you. If Ole Miss won, I would kind of be thinking, well, son of a gun, I should have just I should have just picked him to pull the upset. But um, <laughs> I, like you said, I just think George, it too, that would be an interesting scenario to where if Ole Miss is suddenly 
almost beating Georgia at their own game in that they've right, got control yeah. of the clock and they are keeping the Georgia offense off the field. And suddenly Georgia's defense is sitting there thinking, wait a second, why are we the weak link right now? Um, I I think that could be an interesting scenario, one that Georgia is really not used to because the, the thing that Georgia does so well is they make the other team play their game, their brand of football, and it just it just looks so uncomfortable and so smothering. So um, did, I, I could see Ole Miss really having Georgia up against the ropes. So, again, that's 7 p.m., folks. Uh, where's the streaming? Do you know where that's streaming, Garrett, offhand? Uh, I believe that's a that's uh it's an ESPN game actually. ESPN. So it's a, a 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. There you go. 7 p.m. Eastern time, folks. How about this game? The granddaddy of them all this week. James Madison at no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's <laughs> of course, folks. It's Michigan, number two, Michigan at number nine, Penn State. Top 10 matchup, and this is really, this is where Penn State has struggled historically. They're always kind of that tier two team in the Big Ten. It's always Michigan or Ohio State. Coach Franklin, I think they showed a graphic before the Ohio State game where they would eventually lose. They're, he was 1-9 against Michigan and Ohio State or something like that, and it, mm, it, yeah. they're just the little brother, you know. Does that yep. change in this game? Man, I I would love to see the Penn State upset here. Um, I mean, these are you know two of the best defenses in the country. They rank mm-hmm. first and third in points. Um, it's at Happy Michigan's Valley. Michigan's got the best at Happy Valley, um, and a, a historically really tough place to play. They Penn State plays really well at home, and it's. You know, but it's a tough one. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's not a it's not a prime time game. It's it's a noon kickoff. Um, but yeah, I mean, both these teams their their identities are so similar in that they just they their offenses just fully rely on their defenses to win them the game for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned that Penn State. I think their offense just I don't think their offense is very good. We saw how poor they played against Mich- uh, Ohio State earlier. Yet, you know. They're sixth in points uh, just because they aren't asked to do that much. Their defense sets them up so well. Very similar Michigan is they're both both these teams are averaging 40 points a game mm-hmm. and they're giving up uh, less than 12 points a game. Um, so Michigan's got the number one pass defense in the country. Penn State has the, def- the number one rush defense in the country. Penn State's run defense is unbelievable. Yeah, uh, against FBS opponents, they're only giving up 1.8 yards per rush attempt. Mm-hmm. Easily number one in the country. It's uh, it's unbelievable. And that defensive line, they're second in sack rate. They're getting sacks on 12 and a half percent of their uh, opponent pass attempts. Mm. Um, so this is going to be easily the toughest test Michigan has had to face all year. Um, and I don't know. I. Michigan's looked so solid this entire season. We've talked about how just how dominant they've been. And man, this team might be the best in the country, but their schedule, they have not been tested at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is going to be the first real test. And it's a, it's a tough one. Their Penn State defense right. is no joke. And, oh, man, um, you know, I think I might have to, I might pick the upset in this one. I might pick Penn State. 
You're I just really don't want, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a little bit, you know, I don't, you know, don't like Michigan, but <laughs> man, this Penn state defense is just so good. I don't like their, I don't like their offense. I really, I don't trust Drew Aller. Um, and we saw them struggle against Ohio state. And, but I just think the fact of Penn state is at home. Uh, Michigan wants to run the ball. And this Penn State defense gives up nothing in the run game. They're so strong. They're so good at rushing the passer as well. And one thing to take note of is Penn State's defense, they thrive off of turnovers. Mm -hmm. They are first in the country in turnover margin at plus 16. Nobody's even close to that. Um, And I think if they can somehow, if they can disrupt this Michigan offense, force them into passing the ball with this, with as good as their run defense, Give J.J. McCarthy his first real test of the season. I think we could see him break a little bit. I don't think he's as good mm. as he's shown on the stat sheet this entire season. I think he's had it easy. This is going to be a really tough test for him to be his first test of the entire year. And yeah, again, I, I'm I struggle picking Penn State just because I don't trust their offense. Mm-hmm. They're not efficient through the air or on the ground. They're outside the top 75 in both. And against the Michigan defense, it's going to be rough. I know that. But I just, I think that I'm trusting their defense a little bit to give Michigan a a test. And again, you know, much like my LSU pick last week, I may be being a little biased on this one. But mm-hmm. I think I'm going to pick Penn State to pull the upset this week. You heard it here first, folks. And um, I've, I know what happened last time I trusted Garrett. So I'm not going <laughs> to do it this time. That and I just think Michigan's going to win this game. Um, I, I told you last time, Garrett, I'm, I'm a history buff. I, I like history. And it's it's hard to like state, you know, a four and a half point underdog in this one. And a lot of that's because of Franklin's poor record against top competition at Penn State. He's three and sixteen against top ten teams. More specifically, he's four and fifteen against Ohio State and Michigan. He's eighty-two and twenty-two against all other opponents. Franklin is just one and nine against Ohio State. That's seven straight losses. And he's three and six against Michigan. That includes the forty-one to seventeen loss in Ann Arbor last October when Michigan's offense blew up. Penn State's defense put up 563 yards, including 418 rushing yards. Now, that was obviously a different Penn State defense. That was a different Penn State team. New year, new team. So I'm not suggesting that I'm fully expecting Michigan to just go in and blow the doors off of Penn State. Because after all, you brought up the defense here. These are the top two defenses as far as total defense in the country. With Michigan, they're number one. And yes, they haven't really played anybody, so I don't... I don't hold too much stock into this, but still, you have to give the nod to them. I mean, just the impressive, it's still, you know, you and I talked about this, even though, yes, they haven't had this hardest schedule, but they still have to be disciplined, and they are still a bunch of 19 to 22-year-old kids who are showing up and getting the job done and being elite about it. So I have to I have to be impressed there. Michigan's only given up 231.4 right. yards per game. Penn State? Giving up 234.2 yards per game, a three-yard difference, roughly. 
Michigan has only had 491 plays, and that's because they just force teams off the field usually. Penn State only given up 527. Uh, Michigan's only given up six offensive touchdowns on the season. Six. It's not bad. Not bad at all. Under 10, ladies and gentlemen. Penn State, I mean, they're good too. Only 13. And that's second best. Well, actually, Ohio State's only given up 10. So that's third best. But the fact remains, I just don't like Penn State. Because they play in the Big Ten and they don't have to face good offenses. <laughs> that's right. The stupid Big Ten. You know what? Let's just talk about basketball here. I think they get, that, to, play, no. they get to play Iowa every week. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. People like Iowa. Uh, we hate the Big Ten here. Anyways, <laughs> I, I it all to, to me, it all just comes down to the fact that I just don't trust Penn State's offense. Yes, they've had good back-to-back weeks here against Indiana and Maryland, but I don't really trust Maryland. They've lost four straight. And Indiana, who cares? You know, um, I people people I've heard I've listened to some other podcasts today, and they were saying I'm by Drew Allard. I don't. I'm selling him. I don't think that he's going to. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's going to be able to stand up against this Michigan defense. Uh, it, they only give up four point two yards per play. Uh, Penn State only gives up four. So the argument to be made here is that we could be looking at one of the ugliest or prettiest, depending on how you're looking at it, games of the season. I could totally see like we're we're talking six to six heading into the fourth quarter. I don't know. Um, I just I guess I just trust Michigan's offense a little bit more, especially because their offensive line is probably one of the most elite units in the country. And when you have a Heisman contending running back, uh, really a good a, a really good one two punch when all is said and done. Um, I I just think I trust Michigan a little bit more, and I trust their quarterback a little bit more. I don't think he's I don't you know I don't necessarily think he's great. I think he's had an you know uh, McCarthy's had a solid season to be sure, but he gets to rely on that amazing defense, and he gets to hand the ball off twenty five plus times a game. You know. Um, that takes away a lot of the risk factor here. I think Penn State is going to force Michigan off the field more, uh, or they're going to put McCarthy in points where he's going to have to go win the game. And if he's able to go out and do that, then that points more to the Heisman campaign that we talked about earlier. Um, but I, I just like Michigan in this one. I could see why the upset pick could be made, but I'm going with Michigan here. I just think I, I just don't trust Penn State. I suppose to put up enough points to beat Michigan. Um, so there it is. The pick is in for me. It's Michigan winning a close one at Penn State, and uh, the villain gets out with the win. Do you think Penn State covers four and a half? I could see that. Or do you think you think they keep it within four and a half? I think I think they could keep it within four and a half. We're talking like a one possession. It could come down to one possession, three point win. But on the flip side, maybe Drew Aller just has such a bad day that he throws another bad pick trying to get back into the game, and it turns into like a a 10-point to a 14-point win for Michigan. I could see that too. Um, I'm, I'm not right. ruling out either possibility here. I Again, I just don't trust Aller. I think he's got potential, and I think um, maybe next year he matures even a step more, and suddenly he's in the Heisman conversation, and maybe they beat the bigger brothers at that point. But right now, this Michigan team just looks like they're they're moving, they're firing on all cylinders. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, man, I I definitely agree. Michigan's offense has given more hope and promise than Penn State's has. I mean, um, especially through the past game, McCarthy's looked a lot better than Drew Rowley this this season. But I don't know. I I just I think the key is going to be if Penn State can get the run game going. Uh, I think that's going to be the key. We saw against. I mean, to get the best example is their game against Ohio State. Uh, they mm-hmm. had a little bit of success with, uh, you know, through the run game with uh, Nick Singleton had nine carries for 48 yards. Uh, Katron Allen only nine for 26. If they can somehow get that run game going, Michigan's rush defense is, it's definitely solid by all means. But right. um, if they can find some way to move the ball on the ground, I think that they have a chance. Um, I just don't think that, you know, I think that they're going to be able to stop Michigan's run game. Michigan's uh rush offense, you know, they're only averaging 4.6 yards a carry. That's 41st in the country. Again, mm-hmm. pretty solid, but I would, it's, it's far closer to average than it is elite. And right. against the competition they're playing, I would be a little bit concerned that they're not just running the ball all over them. They're having to do a lot more through the air. Um, and so I think that Penn State, again, only giving up 1.8 yards per carry against Ohio State. Uh, again, 1.9 yards per carry against Ohio State. That's mm-hmm. uh, the running backs only averaged 2.5 yards a carry. I think that they're going to really be able to give Michigan problems in the ground game and force McCarthy to beat them. And again, maybe they can do the same and force Drew Aller to beat them. And Drew Aller is not giving me a lot of hope. But when it comes down to kind of flipping like that, it's Penn State at home. They're forcing 20 turnovers so far this season. I like their defense to make enough plays to, you know, to come out with an upset. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll take Penn State in uh, an upset. I don't feel too great about it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take them. Yeah, and we've seen how great your heart picks turn out. <laughs> well, you know, you got to keep shooting. That's the only way to turn it around. Carmelo Anthony said that or something like that. I don't know. There hey, you go. He's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> that's and he's got a lot maybe. of rings yeah, maybe no <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. but you, you bring up the rushing offense in michigan yeah uh, penn state's ranked 42nd uh total rushing yards michigan's 50th so maybe the battle of the mediocre rushing offenses all things considered but we shall see uh, and again uh kickoff for oh i just closed out of it that's nice uh kickoff you said kickoff is a noon kickoff actually now that i'm remembering it um yeah it's um yeah it's let me just double check it's um i found it it is noon on fox noon on fox so gus johnson on the call it's it's such a waste of gus johnson's talent to put him on a big 10 game where he has to go crazy over a and the field goes in no i'm just kidding um So yeah, maybe maybe that's what it takes to get uh, people excited about a defensive battle. There, you know? <laughs> that's true. Another stop for a three-yard loss. This is crazy. Oh, okay, folks. We've been talking a lot of football here, and it's now time for our segment to wrap all of this up. Rapid fire, Garrett. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Hit me. Okay, how about this one? Virginia at number 11, Louisville. Louisville is 8-1 and one on the season, but Virginia randomly pulls out wins out of a hat. Who knows? Yeah, uh, I mean, I could never feel confident picking Virginia. You know, they got a great upset win over North Carolina, but uh, 
it's not going to happen in this one. Louisville's mm. fighting for a, a, you know, they're destined for the ACC championship game and a matchup with mm-hmm. uh, Florida State. Mm-hmm. And so they're, you know, they're they're eleventh in the playoff polls. They're they're thinking, hey, maybe we could run the table and get a shot. But yeah, no, give me Louisville easily in this one. Right, they're, they're favored by twenty. Oh. Uh, I think they even cover. Uh, I like Ooh. Louisville easily. Ooh, get out of here, Cavaliers! You're a basketball team. I'm right there with you. Louisville covers, wins big, moves to nine and one on the season. They're looking ahead for that potential matchup to Florida State. Elsewhere, Texas Tech at Kansas. Does Kansas keep riding this momentum that they've developed? They're number 19 in the country, and they're also really good at home. Yeah, uh, yeah, Kansas easily in this one. Texas Tech, um, you know, they haven't really done much this season. They've got some wins over very subpar teams. They played Oregon close earlier in the season, gave people a little bit of hope. But overall, they just they haven't been great this year. Uh, probably the most shocking betting line I've ever seen in my life. Kansas at home, only a three and a half point favorite. Gross. I don't understand that one. Give me that one easily, easily Kansas on this one. Easy money, folks. And I'm right there with you. Coach Leopold, I believe, is 10 and two at home. Just a, it, that that has become a tough place to go and win. We saw that with Oklahoma. And now when we have four and five Texas Tech coming to town, they just don't really scare me. I think Kansas does what they need to do. They go out and find a way to win. And I, I, I think it's going to be pretty easily covered as well. So give me Kansas and number 19 in the country. What a great year. Uh, how about this one? Eighth ranked Alabama. They're on the road at Kentucky. Hey, Kentucky had a pretty impressive win earlier this year when they took down Florida at home. Can they do the same and stop the Crimson Tide that is on a six-game win streak? Uh, no, simply <laughs> put. Uh, Kentucky, I don't trust them. Um, they're six and three, but they've been really struggling lately. Picked up a win against Mississippi State, but you know they're one and five in the SEC. So, uh, what's your point? Yeah, no, got clobbered by Georgia, and I expect something similar. I just don't think that they match up well against these teams like Georgia and Alabama, mm. and yeah, give me Alabama easily in this one. They're favored by ten and a half. I expect them to cover that with ease. I'm right there with you. Alabama covers. And this, like you said, they're not built to beat these teams. Kentucky really likes to run the ball if they can. Alabama and Georgia both stuffed that. And I think Alabama's going to do the same. So uh, give me Bama. Um, Pac-12 here. Number 23, Arizona at Colorado. Arizona is firing on all cylinders. They have a chance to cement. They finished nine and three here if they win out. Yeah, I like Arizona. Um, Colorado's been disappointing for sure. Uh, you know, start off three and zero, only won one game since tight one against Arizona State. Um, I like Arizona, and I don't know. I'll, I'll take Arizona. They're hot. Colorado's cold. Um, colder climate. You're right. Colder climate. Yep, yep. <laughs> but uh, the spread on this one is an interesting one. Arizona's big favorites. Uh, ten and a half points. Mm. And the game's at Colorado. I like Colorado to cover ten and a half. I think their offense keeps it a little bit closer. Um, a little bit closer than that. I still like Arizona to win, but you know, I don't. I like Colorado to cover ten and a half. I'm right there with you once again. We're just super exciting over here, folks. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like Arizona. I think they're going to win. 
But I also like I like I like Coach Prime, and he is just coming out swinging. You know, talking especially after that UCLA game when his offensive line just gave up. They were basically turnstiles. And he just started making he, – he was out there saying, uh, yeah, oh. uh, we're going to bring in the best offensive lineman we can find. <laughs> and suddenly his <laughs> offensive line is like, oh, no. So he's going to say what he needs to say to get a response out of his team. So I think Colorado yeah. can play Arizona tough, you know, put up some points here and there. Arizona's defense yeah. gives me confidence that Arizona will make enough stops. But um, I think Colorado can hang in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they got blown out by Oregon, but, and they've been losing ever since then, but they've been keeping their games pretty close. They haven't mm-hmm. had a game to get really out of hand. So, yeah, I'm pretty, I feel pretty good about at home Colorado being able to keep it, keep it close. West Virginia, the only reason this one's in here is because Oklahoma looks mediocre right now. West Virginia at 17th ranked Oklahoma. Uh, I'll, I'll start this one. I, I just don't trust West Virginia, honestly. I think West Virginia can go in and cause some problems here and there. Uh, but Oklahoma at home, desperate to get back on the right track there. Coach Venables really wants to get that taste out of their mouth. Give me the Sooners here. Um, do you got the line on that one? Yeah, that one is um, Oklahoma's at home favored by 12 and a half. Hmm. I think they'll cover that one. I don't really think they get a convincing win. I just at home... You know, they've been on the road the last two weeks, two tough losses. I think coming back to Norman, Oklahoma settles the team. They still got a great quarterback in Gabriel. Uh, I, I think their offense gets it going, and Coach Venables tears into that defense <laughs> through the film sessions, and maybe they get woken back up. Yeah, this one's actually, yeah, this one's a tough one, honestly. West Virginia's been playing really well. Um, Ah, man, I don't know. I I like Oklahoma to win. I think being at home, I'll definitely give them the edge. Uh, uh, Six and three Mountaineers, though, and they hung tough with Oklahoma State. They're playing well. They dominated BYU. Um, Their losses have been close. They they put up 15 on Penn State. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. I mean, only 15 points, but still against Penn State. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I'll – yeah. No, I uh, I like West Virginia to cover twelve and a half, but I do think Oklahoma gets the win. Maybe it's maybe it's nine or ten points, but um, yeah, I think Oklahoma bounces back. Yeah, they they tough losses recently, and going back home, I think they I think they rebound to get the win. There you go. Oh, we already talked about Florida here. Dumpster fire of a program, apparently, with Coach Napier. They're on the road at 18th-ranked LSU, and um, you know, not sure exactly what the status of Jaden Daniels is currently. I, I think he'll be good to go. Um, but I, I, what are what are our thoughts here with uh, LSU? Or excuse me, Florida heading into Death Valley. Yeah, last I checked, I think that Brian Kelly said that. Jen Daniels was, um, I think it was kind of a day to day. They weren't really sure. I would expect him to play. Uh, and if he does, I, th- I really, I like LSU easily in this one. Even if he doesn't, I'll probably pick LSU. Mm-hmm. I just don't, again, I don't trust Florida. Um, you know, their defense has been really suspect. They've been giving up the last three games, you know, 
they haven't given up less than 39 points. Mm-hmm. And that includes South Carolina and Arkansas. So, and Florida yeah, loves def- to run the ball. Right, right. Yeah. No, um, yeah, give me uh give me LSU. If Jan Daniels plays, they cover the 14 point spread. I just I think they put up historic numbers on this Florida defense. And even if he doesn't, I, I like him to win. Maybe it's a closer game. If he doesn't, the offense doesn't put up as many points. But uh, either way, yeah, I, I like LSU in this one easily. I'm I'm with you once again. Give me LSU. Um, and if especially if Daniels plays, they cover. Uh, this Florida team's just reeling. Um, I I don't know that Coach Napier can coach them out of a paper bag. Maybe that's being mean, but <laughs> <laughs> give me LSU in that one. Um, hey, this is a great basketball rivalry. Duke at 24th ranked North Carolina. Duke just hasn't been the same ever since they took that loss to Notre Dame and uh, they, they had uh, their, their May got hurt in that game as well. Yeah. Um, I really liked North Carolina after their win over Miami. I thought this is a team that can compete with Florida State to win the ACC championship and just a shocking loss to Virginia, shocking loss to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's a little better. The Virginia one's inexcusable, right? But tough losses. Um, got a rebound game against Campbell, but ah, man, it's it's tough to trust them now. Mm-hmm. And Duke, I just don't, I just don't know. Um, you know, they also started off looking really good. Uh, started off, you know, five and one. Played Notre Dame pretty close, and then lost to Florida State. Got destroyed by Louisville, and then yeah, this one, this one's a really tough one for me. Um, you know, Riley Leonard was not the same after the injury. He didn't play last week against Wake Forest. They had a backup in there, and he really struggled. They were able to get the win just because you know their run game is so strong, mm-hmm. but. And that's what I meant to say earlier, by the way. When Leonard got hurt, I was thinking May, apparently. Oh, there yeah, we go. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which I think I'm, I think he's shut down, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think Riley Leonard's going to be yeah, he, playing uh, in this one. He if didn't, did if not I'm, play against Wake Forest. Um, they had Loftus yeah, so, in. Yeah, yeah, and he, was, he really struggled. So I like UNC in this one. And they're 14 point favorites at home. I think that's a lot. Um, but without Riley Leonard, I just don't know how Duke is able to keep up at all. Mm-hmm. So, but it is it is a rivalry. Duke would love to win this game, and their defense is pretty pretty strong. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Garrison? I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I honestly would lean towards North Carolina being able to cover, and it's not at all taking a shot at Duke's defense. That To me, that's just Duke's defense is going to get worn down. I could see Duke having a similar start to what they did against Florida State. You know, they jump out to that 20 to – or that 17-3 um, to 3 or – Twenty to seven lead. That I, that's what I was going for. It was twenty to seven, and that was with a uh, Riley Leonard. Not he was basically on one leg, and the defense came out and carried them. I could totally see Duke starting out that way, and North Carolina suddenly reeling like, "Whoa, wait a second here!" But ultimately, I just think it with 
if Duke's defense is tasked with playing like 80 plus plays because Duke's offense can't stay on the field and this is still a Mac Brown coach defense that I think has a very bend don't break mantra um I mm-hmm. I I like North Carolina to cover maybe give maybe a 14 point win 35 to 21 or something like that um again not at all taking a shot at Duke's defense I just think they're going to get put in a very tough position here and Drake may you know I still I still trust him um then even in that loss to Virginia uh where they just looked horrible and nothing went right um they, they still put up 27 points and may was able to still do some things so uh, I I look for North Carolina to get a semi comfortable win here yeah I I think I agree North Carolina I think their offense can be able to put up points regardless they've been able to do it against almost everybody and yeah Duke just isn't it can be able to keep up especially with no Riley Leonard and again I don't know if he's going to play I haven't been able to find out he I'm I'm just going to assume he does not Mm -hmm. since we haven't really gotten an update and so I don't think they're going to be able to keep up at all and I I think you're right I think their offense is not going to be able to stay on the field and so their defense is just going to get worn down right Um, so yeah definitely definitely going to pick North Carolina well there you have it folks I think we've just pretty much agreed on every rapid fire. So a lot of heated arguments and debates here. But (laughs) the big games where it matter, I mean, Michigan and Penn State, we got our disagreement there. So uh, tune in for that one to see who's the better expert, Garrison or Garrett. Um, The show's named after me. I'll just remind everybody. No, I'm just kidding. Um, That's going to, well, I guess Garrett too. Moot point. Yeah, come on. What are you you talking about? (laughs) But that's going to do it here. Garrett, do you have anything else you want to add? I think we covered it all. We've covered pretty much everything we could cover under the um, under the sun. Everything under the sun. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's all. Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what to do. Please give us a five star review here on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us that five star review. We greatly appreciate it. And as always, find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook. And for uh, Mr. Garrett Thickpin, I'm Garrison Hardy. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett.